friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. and welcome back to another episode of our podcast becoming buffy this week's episode is the dreaded ted the dreaded ted it's actually yes. not bad no, i watched like this, episode. this episode actually this episode is extremely well done and i liked it i like the episode itself mm-hmm. but ted does a little too good job of yeah acting yep. like yeah everything he does i i think would make me lose my mind like I told I Leah after crazy. the episode, I was like, Leah and Buffy, actually Sarah, Leah and Buffy are very similar in their attitudes. <laughs> and I, I told Leah, I was like, everything that Buffy did and reacted is 1000% how Leah would have reacted in that situation. <laughs> like, I just, especially this scene where she's playing mini golf and she like cheats. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but like she like cheats and he's like, oh, you cheated. And she's like. Oh, take it off my score. <laughs> She's like, I don't care. Like, it's, or it's just like, not a big deal. Or he goes, uh, what would you do if we got married? She's yeah, like, like, I think I'd I'd kill kill myself. Myself. <laughs> I literally audibly laughed. I was like, Buffy is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about this episode is, so people, we need to do our Enneagram episode sometimes too. Yeah, yeah. we do. Um, but people say that Buffy is an Enneagram one just because she no. holds herself to a pretty strict moral code. The thing is, no. is that Buffy in this episode, this the fact that she's cheating at mini golf. I'm like, Buffy is not <laughs> an Enneagram one. She's such a six. Yeah. Also, uh, for those of you guys who will be listening to this episode, Tabby, Sarah, and I all have pretty extensive knowledge on the Enneagram. So if you guys would like us to do an episode on the characters, Enneagram types, and go into all of that, and if you have no idea what Enneagram is and you're curious about what we'll it is. We'll explain it as well. We will explain it. We will go into depth. But um, let us know if you'd want like a bonus episode about that or something. Because we already talk about it. it all the time anyway. And so we know exactly what everyone is. So it'd be kind of fun to talk about it if you guys like the Enneagram. Yeah. So like DM us on our Instagram or email us or whatever just let us know if you'd actually want a episode like that because i think it'd be so fun to do Mm -hmm. yeah and speaking of which you can find us on instagram at becoming buffy podcast i feel like we always say it at the end of the episode and i need to remember to put it at the beginning um you can also email us at becoming buffy podcast at gmail.com and then this is the obligatory this is the spoiler free section we will not be spoiling anything uh, except for everything that we've watched up until this episode um this week we'll be actually combining the spoiler and the spoiler free sections into this episode so next week we'll be releasing bad eggs instead of doing the spoiler section of ted and we will be releasing all of bad eggs in one episode as well um and then after that we'll continue on like normal so just so you are aware of what's coming up in the future now that that's out of the way ted so i am curious if your guys's opinions have changed on the episode i know we just talked about it a little bit but when we talked about how this was the next episode that we we're going to be discussing and recording both of you guys were kind of like oh i hate that episode do you still hate the episode or do you like it a little bit better this is one of those episodes and i think i've said this in a couple episodes in season two just because season two the great episodes compared to the kind of 
different episodes, crappier ones, I should say. Um, they're not crappy. There's still some amazing parts in the episodes. In comparison of a crappy episode in Buffy to another show's crappy episodes, they don't compare. They're much better. But this is one of those ones that I always think is a lot worse than it actually is. So I end up skipping it when I rewatch. And I'm sad that I have only because rewatching it. Okay. And this is another topic we'll talk about later on in the episode. But like, I forget how frustrating Joyce is as a mom in episodes where she's being controlled or things mm-hmm. like that. They do that a ton in the earlier seasons. Like the first three seasons, like I just think of, oh shoot, I can't say that. Ugh, we'll see it later on, I guess. There's a lot um, to talk about for spoilers, man. Yes. But it's just like, it's so frustrating. Like watching this episode, I was like, Joyce, like don't, don't like ignore her when she thinks she killed someone. Like, you know, things like that where it's like, man, like, and she wasn't even being controlled at that point. But this episode, kind of like what you guys in the beginning, it did such a good job. But I think the reason why I skip it is because I'm not used to watching a Buffy episode in the earlier seasons where it's so horror-like. And we see a lot of like deeper themes like they could have made Reptile Boy so much worse than what it actually was, but they still kind of made it lighthearted, like having Xander at the party and like joking around and like having Cordelia there and like having that light portion of it. But this episode is just like all mostly really dark and like you see a lot of really hard stuff on television. And so I think that Rewatching it, I have a way different perspective watching it because I really appreciate what they did, but it is hard to watch. I really like this episode, rewatching it. I think that I think I've seen it like maybe once, maybe like one and a half. <laughs> I think that another time I like watched it but didn't finish it or something. And I think that it is a very well done episode, especially like the pacing of it, I found was really well done. Mm-hmm. Um I personally skip this episode when I watch it simply because the character of Ted, like, physically makes me so angry watching him because, like, I I don't know what it is about. I mean, obviously, he's meant to be a, like, non-likable character, but, like, there's just something about him that especially gets to me. And so uh, sometimes I skip it because I'm like, I'm just not in the mood to be angry at some fictional character, (laughs) but... It is such a well-done episode, and I would not recommend to anyone who has not seen the show before to skip this episode. I think it is so well done. I agree. And I think that it shows so much about every single character, and it says a lot without actually saying it. Well, and Giles and Jenny, too. I forget that this is their, like, coming back together episode. Well, it's like you have Giles and Jenny who are forming a relationship. You show the contrast between Buffy's relationship with Giles, an actual good father figure, and her quote-unquote relationship with Ted, a bad father figure. Um, and then it just is showing the the kind of pressure um, being a slayer is putting on her relationship with her mom. And like, it just... It shows a lot without needing to explicitly say it. And I really respect this episode for that. Yeah. I, this is, it's funny because this episode is actually one of my favorite standalone episodes, at least for season two. I I think I need to actually sit down and figure out what my favorite episodes are. But (laughs) Sam, I keep saying that. This is a really good episode. It's one of my favorites, but I don't actually have a list. Right. (laughs) Don't worry. We'll get to the ones where we're like, this is not our favorite. Um, but I just really, really enjoy it. And I think I, Ted 
irritates me and I hate him with a passion. But I think that's part of what makes me yeah. like this episode so much because mm. they did a really good mm-hmm. job with him. This episode is just different tonally. It's different from the episodes that we've seen before because we actually see a lot of Buffy's personal life. There's not really like a really dark evil. I mean, we, obviously Ted's a robot and stuff, but – He's very, for most of the episode, we think he's human and he feels very human. And I think what makes him so frustrating and hard to watch is because we all know someone that's kind of like a Ted and he's Mm. very human in the way that he manipulates and gaslights and emotionally abuses Buffy before he even lays a hand on her. And it's frustrating. I kind of wish they made him an actual human because I feel like they try to make it more metaphorical to kind of escape a lot of the censors, I feel like, mm. that they were that they were going for in the 90s because I feel like they would not have allowed a lot of stuff that was happening if it was an actual person. But the fact that they were like, oh, this is metaphorical. You know, this is a robot. It's not an actual person. They were able to do a lot of stuff. And so in that case, I respect it. But I also feel like people like this exist mm-hmm. and they're worse than that. And I feel like it would have been really more impactful if it actually was a human being just because then you'd have this whole dilemma that they were talking about in the library where it's like can Buffy kill someone if like a human if she's the vampire slayer because it's Mm -hmm. like that is immoral Mm -hmm. but then it's also she's helping other people because he is a murderer so I don't know I don't know what you guys think about that I mean, I think you can – I, I want to talk about it later when we get to it, but I think that you can still have those conversations and Buffy still has that conversation even mm-hmm. if ultimately at the end she ended up just killing a robot, you know, and he was a, a mass murderer on top of that. So I think that like the episode does a good job of – it broaches the the topic and it addresses it and it at least brings it to Buffy's mind. Like she now knows what she's capable of. I wrote down that we've talked a lot about how Buffy is an instinctual slayer. Like the past two episodes, What's My Line Part? one and two talk a lot about the contrast between Buffy as a instinctual slayer versus Kendra as the like the more normal slayer um, who's very more book smart. And I said that Buffy tends to act first and think later, which is normally good because her instincts are normally right on the money. But what happens if she makes a mistake mm-hmm. and will she own that? Thankfully, like her instincts are correct in this episode, but what happens if they aren't correct? Like, are we ever going to see that? Mm-hmm. Um, and this episode is also terrifying on top of all of that because we see Buffy actually really scared of her own abilities and we see her actually realizing what she's capable of when she's legitimately very angry and not mm-hmm. thinking clearly. Um so I it's it's a, it's a really interesting episode because of those questions but also because if Ted was human and that's what makes this episode so terrifying if he is human, he's out of Buffy's jurisdiction. What do you do when yeah. there is a human that is evil? Buffy can't do anything about that. And so like we aren't really sure what to do with him. Buffy isn't sure what to do with him and so like it leads to this really like scary tension that we haven't really felt on many episodes before because it hits Mm -hmm. a little close to home well and it's like you know buffy has been given so much power and she's unfortunately been given this kind of code to follow Mm. and that makes it really hard when you've i essentially become the law of the demon world like Buffy is the end-all be-all when it comes to demons and vampires and all of that. And I think it's really hard to come back to the normal world when there is someone who's so clearly, purely evil 
and then step back and be like, oh, not my jurisdiction. Because it's Mm -hmm. like you've been made to be the law for the demons. And so it's like if you have someone who's just so awful, it's like, well, you know, I pass judgment on demons. Why can't I pass judgment on you? And I think for Buffy too, her instincts are telling her this guy is not good. There's something not okay with him. And yet all the evidence is pointing to he's just a human. And so what do you do when you have that conflicting, like something's telling me he's not okay, but then I also have, like, I have to follow the law, you know, that just makes for a really hard situation. Well, it's kind of like, I'm glad that they put this episode in after Lie to Me, just because we had a similar idea with that one. But also, she didn't pick up right away that Ford was evil, because Mm -hmm. she was his friend. Whereas in this one, she like immediately didn't like him. And because Mm -hmm. he was coming into her life, she felt that way. So it just brings up a lot of questions of like, can, is her gut trustworthy? And this one kind of challenges that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think that... It's it's just it's so clever because mm-hmm. as a few, first time viewer you're watching it and you're like well Buffy maybe you're not being like you're not giving enough grace because initially he seems very kind like we don't see anything about him we just know Buffy doesn't like him and we're like well you don't like him and I think Xander and Willow point this out do you not like him because he was mm-hmm. with your mother um, and so yeah it's just really interesting so anyway we should go ahead and just like start talking about the episode <laughs> we're gonna like address everything now. <laughs> All right, so season two, episode 11, Ted, written by David Greenwalt and Joss Whedon, which I think is why this is such a good standalone episode because it's written by the two producers, um, directed by Bruce Seth Green, and it aired December 8th, 1997. This is actually the last episode that was aired in 1997. After this episode, um, we have a little bit of a hiatus, and then they come back in um, January. But it was the highest rated Buffy episode at the time of airing. No way. Wow, interesting. Higher than the season one finale? Yeah, it was the highest aired one or highest um, viewed. And I think the reason for that is because of John Ritter, who plays Ted. He did a great job. Phenomenal job. He is a really good actor. He um, actually was the first actor to be billed as special guest star on the show because Hmm. he – you know, was such a big, big name. So I want to talk about John Ritter for a second. John Ritter is best known for his roles on the sitcoms Three's Company and Hearts Afire, as well as several films. He played the role of Jack Tripper on Three's Company, and he decided to take the role of Buffy because he wanted a chance to play against his image, which was more sweet and wholesome. Hmm. And I mean, that was effective. I respect that. Yeah, yeah. you did a good job. Right, exactly. Which is funny because actually just like two weeks ago, I watched a episode of SVU, Special Victims Unit, and he was on there and he played like this psychopath murderer. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's just it's funny to see it like Ted and then this one. Um, Don Knotts, who played Barney Fife on the Andy Griffith show. Oh, I love Barney Fife. Yeah, he was also on the Apple Dumpling Gang. He called mm-hmm. John Ritter the greatest physical comedian on the planet because wow. he's like a really good comedian, which is I weird compliment. if you've only seen Ted. It's funny because one of John Ritter's last roles was Clifford the Big Red Dog. He no way, him, which is hilarious. I love because, Clifford. Yeah, I would. I was actually listening to my kids um, watching Clifford one day, and I didn't know that John Ritter was the voice. And I was like, "Why does Clifford's voice sound so creepy?" And I couldn't understand why I was creeped out by it. And then I was like, oh, "That's Ted. <laughs> That's crazy." Yep. He was nominated at least four times for a daytime Emmy for his role of Clifford, which is what? so random. Yeah, Emmy? 
An yeah. Emmy for Clifford. Yeah. Well, sometimes I don't understand who they nominate. Yeah, it's odd. Anyway. Okay, so here's here's where it gets kind of funny. So I like to play a game. I think I've said this before. I like to play a game called like Seven Degrees of Buffy, where whatever show or movie I'm watching, I'll be like, all right, how is this going to like get back to Buffy somehow? And it's usually surprisingly not hard. So John Ritters has two sons. Tyler and Jason. So Tyler has done like a few things, but Jason's probably like more commonly well-known. Jason voices Dipper from Gravity Falls. I don't know if you guys watch Gravity Falls. No, no? I've been okay. told I should though. Yeah, it's like Andrew's favorite show. Um, He has played on the show Parenthood and he also voices Ryder from Frozen 2. He's the guy that Kristoff was friends with and they both bonded over their reindeer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. John Ritter also once worked with Joss Whedon's father, Tom, who was also a writer. And um, his son, Jason, also appeared in a play written by Joss's brother, Zach. So small world. Christine Sutherland said that when they were shooting Ted, which is around Halloween, which I think was the script that you were looking at tabs, Mm -hmm. she said it was one of her favorite days of work because everyone came dressed up in their costumes cute. She said that Sarah Michelle Gellar came dressed up as Dorothy and her dog Thor came as Toto. Oh. And Christine Sutherland dressed up as one of Ted's wives from the 50s. Stop <laughs> it! <laughs> I wish there were pictures. That's amazing. Yes. Um, this episode is one of Christine Sutherland's favorite episodes and it apparently is Allison Hannigan's third favorite episode. No way! Yeah. What's yeah. Allison Hannigan's first two? Well, I can't say because we haven't gotten to them yet. I mean, you could tell me the titles of them because people can just look at the discography. <laughs> um, no, I won't. I'll, I'll tell you later. <laughs> Lame. This is mostly due to the fact that Allison Hannigan apparently loved John Ritter so much. She said they used to all hang out in his trailer and just be like, hey, John. He'd be like, hey. And he like didn't care. They hung out with him. Cute. Yeah. Um, so John Ritter said he was a huge fan of the show. And he says this about getting cast. He said, it was so much fun and it was interesting because my agent said, do you want to do Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I had really liked the movie, but when the TV show came on, I liked the TV show so much better because there was a quality to it that I hadn't seen on TV before. It Mm. was stylized and so funny and so hip. They were creating teenage jargon that I hadn't heard before. Very sarcastic and intelligent dialogue as opposed to that kind of Beavis and Butthead thing. And there was a real sexiness to it and it was scary and action-packed. The fights were thrilling and creative, not just exchanging punches, but using the environment around the combatants. I took a couple of years of karate. These guys have come up with so many creative things. The way the vampires explode and the makeup, I would say they can't possibly do this every week, and yet they do. His agent told him they wanted him on the show, and he said absolutely, and that he wanted to see the script, but apparently then, like, never heard from them again. And so then he called his agent and was like, hey, like, where's that script I want to get on this show? And they were like, oh, you mean on Sabrina the Teenage Witch? And he was like, no, Buffy. I want to be on Buffy. Um, So they gave him the script, and he says normally, like, when you're given the script – You kind of like bounce ideas back and forth with the writers or with Joss. And he said he loved the idea of Ted so much that he didn't even give them any of his ideas. He was just like, I'm just going to do it. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. He said that he watches the show or he watched the show with his kids. And normally his kids would never visit sets. But when they found out he was doing Buffy, they would visit every day. (laughs) Yeah. He said he was finally cool in his kids' eyes. Cute. He apparently was almost too effective in his role. 
Joss's one note to him, and he said this every day that he was shooting. He said, John, that was just a little too creepy. Be as normal (laughs) as possible. You've got to really take the audience by surprise, Um, which is interesting because I feel like he nailed it in the creep factor and also being very normally creepy. Yeah. Like, it didn't feel like it was somehow unrealistic. I feel like the first part where he's not exposed yet gave me just, like, massive old white dude creepy vibes, which (laughs) I don't like either way. But I was like, I don't like him immediately when I first watched. But then when you expose more, you're like, okay, this is an actual creep. But he played the whole, like creepy white old dude stuff very perfectly in the beginning because that could easily be passable it's just like he's just old and weird to like he's actually a serial killer so yeah great job hats off to you john yeah well done john um he praised the cast he said i'm really knocked out by that cast they're really good there's a way of throwing away dialogue like people do in real life there's a kind of nonchalance or planned casualness that is really appealing sometimes this kid nicholas brendan and allison hannigan just really knocked me out they're all so good sarah is such a professional she's just adorable but you assume someone that young can do one or two things but she can do it all she's been around since she was a zygote i think she started acting as a fetus (laughs) (laughs) he says she was really fun to act with at the dinner table which was done the first day i think that's where i went this little girl is a major talent you see a whole lot of subtext in her eyes she's always thinking the camera is the one invention by man that can record thought as it's taking place actors who know that are off to a great start which i think he just like hit the nail on the head because i think we've talked a lot about how sarah just communicates so much with her eyes and yeah, especially that dinner table scene too, where she's like shooting daggers <laughs> <Genius>. at him. <laughs> but I also think kind of based off what he was saying, like, I think one thing that I find extremely annoying, and maybe it's the fact that I'm like, almost not a teenager anymore. But like, I absolutely despise watching newer shows, movies, whatever about like teenagers. And they try to increment like newer lingo and try and make it casual and you're like no one freaking talks like this like and granted like i'm not in high school anymore but like i'm still pretty fresh out of high school and no one ever talked like that and i think that buffy is like their dialogue i know i know is in the 90s so like obviously it's going to be different than how people talk now but their dialogue is so normal. Like, you're like, yeah, that's a conversation I would have with my friend, my family, my boyfriend, my whatever. So it doesn't take you out of the, like, world of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, He says his favorite Buffy moment was throwing a ball around with Nicholas Brendan. Apparently, they had, like, a softball or baseball team, and they, like, the crew did, and everybody would go and they'd, like, have tournaments and stuff, and he joined their team and helped them, like, win a game or something like that. That's so fun. What the heck? Can you imagine just going to work and then just having to do that? That'd be so fun. He sounds like a really cool guy. Marty Noxon remembers him coming on set and playing baseball with their crew team. And um, Jeff Pruitt, the stunt coordinator, he said one of his favorite moments on set was working with John Ritter. He said, Ted is not a great fighting episode, but I enjoyed John Ritter. Now there was a nice guy to work with. He was so sick that day and he brought me my pads back all separated neatly and put in little plastic bags and gave them back to me. No one had ever done that before. They usually just rip them off and fling them. I've never met a guy like him before. He is so great. He's super. Aww. 
Oh, that's such a high compliment. I know. I'm like, man, I really wanted to meet this guy. <laughs> I know. I'm like, man, you played your character really well because I cannot see you being like this. Yeah, we're all like, we hate Ted. And everyone's like, we love him. <sighs> so I wrote down, you know, obviously we kind of talked a little bit about what the show or like what this episode is about. But I wrote, Ted has an obsessive need to control others. He represents a kind of human evil. He represents the simpler times, I say in quotes, mentality from the 50s where women just wanted their household appliances and decorations and children were seen and not heard. And I think he's a special kind of scary because he's kind of like Umbridge from Harry Potter, where you like hate them so much, like almost more than you hate Voldemort, and you like hate him more than you hate Spike and Drusilla in this episode. Well, it's because it's more of a realistic evil. Like, of course, you know, demons and all that is terrifying, but I think that there's a very real fear to, especially this audience was to teenagers, like a very real fear of a step parental figure. But like, it's a very real fear that they can, up until you are 18 and can move out of the house and all that, that they can control and ruin your mm-hmm. life. It's a relatable evil. Yeah. Yep. All right. So now that I've just like spewed all of that stuff at everyone, let's jump into the episode. So Xander and Will are arguing about Captain and Neil being in charge or like who's in charge. Captain and Neil, just so you guys know, are like a singing group from the 70s. And Xander thinks that Tennille, the woman, is the one who's in charge. Or he thinks that Tennille is manipulating the captain. And Will thinks the captain would be used like that. There's actually a line at the end of this scene that gets cut out that Willow said. She said, I'm just saying that if Tennille was in charge, she would have had the little captain's hat. Because apparently, like, the captain wore the hat and stuff. Anyways. Um, Buffy does not know what they're talking about. And to be quite honest, I didn't know who they were talking about till I Googled it either. So it's not like I know all things. <laughs> wow. Sarah didn't know this one thing. I know. It was back in the 70s. Shame on man. you. Buffy is very happy because it's been quiet since the truck and assassins were called off. And I think it's interesting because they talk about how they believe Spike and Drew to be dead. Um, and then Xander, of course, jinxes them again, just like he did in school hard. And we're like, don't do that, Xander, every time. <laughs> I know. He does that a few times. Um, and so we hear that Angel is getting better. And then Buffy's been helping nurse him and make him feel better. Um, so then Buffy goes to unlock the front door and the door pushes open, which it looks like, okay, how distracted was Joyce to not even like shut the front door especially no, in Sunnydale. I mean burning with lust yeah I'm pretty sure she was very distracted <laughs> oh my gosh I don't know anyway so Buffy enters alone and I feel like from this first scene we get the sense that this is going to be a very like uncomfortable episode mm-hmm. yes exactly because we haven't seen Joyce in a couple episodes now she always comes in every like four or five episodes I feel like but yeah. it's it's very rare to see her in a full episode And I think it's very clever that they made her with a guy. And so that's why she's been working late and missing. So they gave her a really good out for the past episodes. So we haven't seen her because she's been with Ted. So Buffy hears something break. Hears Joyce say, oh, no. Walks into the kitchen to see Joyce kissing a man. This would literally be traumatized. I think I would gouge (laughs) my eyes out. Okay. I will say the way he says hi, I already hated him. He was like, hi. Like, as if she wasn't going to acknowledge his presence. I was like, shut up. I already hate you. Get off. Yeah. Yeah. Buffy looks very confused and not happy, which 
honestly, like, it's really hard because, I mean, obviously we love Buffy and we hate Ted, but from the get-go, I 100% relate with Buffy because I think I would react in the same way. And I think most kids would too, you know? Mm-hmm. Even well, if they didn't hate Ted. It's hard because this is the first guy that she's dated after her dad. And so it's kind of like that culture shock of like, oh, shoot, like, I don't know. It, it, I think it made things more real for Buffy. Um, plus, he's extremely invasive, even on the first like meeting. It wasn't like a, hey, can't wait to get to know you. It was like a, oh, my gosh, like. Your mother and I, we I care so much about her, blah, blah, blah. and it's like, shut up. Like, just say hi. <laughs> yeah. So Joyce says she broke a wine glass, introduces Buffy to Ted, and then we have this shot of Ted putting something in the oven with Will and Xander. And I think this is the first time we've actually like been in the backyard, like standing on the back porch. I thought about inside. that. Yeah. It's a very different shot than ones we've seen before. Um, they're throwing away the trash, and Joyce you know, talks about how he sells computer software and they met when he redid the system at the gallery. And I just wanted to say Joyce looks so beautiful with her hair and her dress mm-hmm. and everything. She looks really pretty mm-hmm. like yeah. in a lot of the shots in this episode. Agreed. So Joyce, he freed up a lot of my time, Buffy, to meet new people and smooch them in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. And Joyce, you weren't supposed to see that. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny, though, because we're kind of seeing Joyce's, like, little rebel side that, you know, Buffy gets from her. And as much as I do hate Ted, I think it's funny to see Buffy kind of experience the attitude she gives her mom. (laughs) That is true. Yeah, I mean, like, school hard when she went after Spike. We know that Buffy takes after her mom. So it's kind of fun to see Joyce there, like, hey, I have a life, too. It's like, okay, Buffy, who snuck Angel up into our room multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, Willow and Ted are talking about Willow's nine gig hard drive, which cracks me up because like that's it's nothing not nowadays. Very much stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Ted offers to give her the upgrade for free, and Willow's speechless with joy noises are just hysterical. But his, his the what he says afterwards, any friend of Buffy's, as if he knows Buffy. Like, it's just, like, this subtle ownership that just, ugh, no. I just hate the way he, like, words things. I'm very fond of your mother. Well, gosh, that makes you a special person to me, too. I'd be like, ew. <laughs> Leave yeah, me alone. And the, and the hard part is, is that when you're watching this, you're like, oh, I side with Buffy. But you're also trying to be like, okay, I'm going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt because he hasn't really done anything wrong yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But then you're also like, but I hate him. I don't know yeah. what it is. I think it's really clever how they kind of show you things from Buffy's perspective because as Buffy's saying that she instinctually doesn't like this guy, we're also going, we agree we instinctually don't like this guy either. So I don't know. It's kind of cool how they kind of put us in Buffy's shoes. And I, I just think that's really clever. Um, Xander loves Ted's mini pizzas and asks him for his secret, which is really clever foreshadowing to later because then we find out about the drugging. I think that the first time I remember seeing this, I remember I didn't like Ted, but I, I remember the first like big red flag for me was the fact that he was trying so hard to get in with Buffy's friends mm-hmm. and being like, oh, like, I'll give you a recipe. Oh, I'll give you the free upgrade. Blah, 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 blah. And it was like trying so hard to be like that it was like almost very pushy like trying to assert himself into their lives so quickly yeah well the fact that he like shows up to her school later on like Mm. no no like he and that's what makes him scary because he literally invades her privacy at every turn Mm -hmm. you know 
he and he was he said he was installing the computers or upgrading the software or something in the guidance counselor's computers. So like that is got to be nerve wracking for Buffy, who we know that she's been there a couple of times, almost like he's invading like all of the information that she would prefer nobody else sees. Mm. Um, but yeah, did you guys notice that like Ted holds up the cast iron skillet that Buffy ends up walloping him with at the end of the episode and oh, says no. that's the secret to making the mini pizzas? That's funny. Yeah, he holds it up and says, no room for compromise there. And I was like, maha. Um, when Joyce and Buffy enter the room, I just love all of the like the background stuff that's going on here, the little looks and stuff. Cause as Joyce comes in, she looks at Ted and she kind of like gives him a little smile while Buffy like looks to the ground and will not make eye contact with Ted. Like it's just really interesting. Mm. And then when Ted goes and walks over to where Buffy's leaning on the counter, him and Joyce look at each other again, almost like they're like, Hey, yeah, I've talked to her. Okay, now you can talk to her. Like it's very it feels like a parent thing. And that's like your guard because you're like, he's not her parent. Well, yes, and that's what's frustrating too, other than his like obviously abusive side but he like acts like he, like he knows her and is her dad immediately and just makes comments like dude you have no right to say that you do not know her you're just dating joyce that's it and this is literally the first time you're meeting her yeah yeah exactly um and behind buffy um the calendar says that it's november which would fit the timeline because halloween was supposed to be in october and then we know from jenny calendar haha the other calendar later on in the episode she talks about how it's been 3 weeks since the events of the dark mm-hmm. age so i like how they've kind of like kept it consistent and then Ted asks Buffy if she's hungry. She very politely says no thanks, which I was like, okay, she's at least like attempting to be polite and kind. Um, and then Ted apologizes and said that's not how he wanted them to meet, that he wanted it to be perfect. I'm very fond of your mother. I guess that's pretty obvious as Joyce listens in the background from the scene. I know, so clearly like listening in. Yeah, right. Not even trying. And then he gestures to the picture of the two of them on the fridge and says, I know you're the most important thing in her life. And well, gosh, that makes you pretty important to me too. Ew, it's like no one cares. Yeah. Well, and it's the same picture from on his desk later on. So I think it's implied that he took that picture off of the fridge and Mm. put it onto his desk. Joyce comes up next to Ted. Buffy, I really want you to be okay with this. And I like – I feel for Joyce because I get the sense that she really does want Buffy to be okay with this and she's trying really hard, especially like in this moment. But it's also really hard too because you're kind of like – See see how difficult this is for Buffy. Like, But also, if you're bringing over your boyfriend that you haven't told Buffy that you're dating, bring him over before or after you've prefaced to Buffy that he's coming over, that yeah. you can meet him. Don't just spring him on you. Yeah. Like, even though she didn't think that she was going to walk in, she was also in the house with Ted. Buffy could have walked in at any moment. You should have had yeah. that dialogue with Buffy beforehand. Yeah, she was taking a risk for sure. And then Ted begged to differ. We really want you to be okay with this. And he like hugs Joyce and then brings her close. It looks just like parents. And I just, yeah. And I I wrote, oof, he really rubs me the wrong way. He so subtly just comes between the two of them. And then he also undermines Joyce. Like throughout all of it, he He kind of undermines her parenting. And then Buffy, I'm okay, Joyce. You are. Like Joyce can tell. And then Sarah Michelle Gellar is phenomenal. The way that she says, I am, but doesn't smile with her eyes. Like, you know exactly what she's doing. It's just a really cool shot. 
cut to a vamp being thrown onto a picnic bench and Buffy mm-hmm. is hanging with her real true dad over I, there. I, I was going to say, like, I think that it is so intentionally clever that they have a scene of her hanging out with Giles and a scene of her hanging out with Ted back to back. And I also think that it's interesting that her first instinct is to go and vent to the person that she sees like as a father figure. Yeah, it's very intentional. Obviously, Giles is here for a purpose, and I think it's to show the contrast between him and Ted. Um, Giles is just hysterical in this scene. He's like, Buffley, I believe he's um, and then it cuts back to Buffy just hammering this guy with the trash can lid. And then Giles has like this mixture of confusion and terror yeah. on his face. <laughs> he's like, Buffy, it's sticking time, don't you think? And then he just like he's holding the slaying bag with all the weapons in it, and then he just kind of like sits down because he's like, "This is gonna be a while." Yep. <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. Jaws's facial expressions are just my favorite. He's just so precious in this episode. Yeah. Like he's very precious in a lot of the episodes, but like he just had some extra like I don't know. Just, he was so cute. I think he's just precious because we have Ted. <laughs> We're like, oh, they, I think. Well, I think they did the same thing that they did with um. What episode were we talking about where they had to really show, not the Dark Age, the contrast oh, was it, it was between Reptile Boy, right? With yes. the predatory guys. Yes, I think that's what they're doing with this one too. They're showing extra soft Giles in this one because they really want to show the contrast between Ted and Giles. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I think it makes sense because later on with his conversation with Jenny, mm-hmm. he respects Jenny's wishes mm-hmm. and walks out of the room, unlike Ted, who's yeah. in everybody's business. Well, he's also not trying to emotionally manipulate her because she's like, I need time. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And then walked out. It wasn't like a like, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that to you. Like he was very respectful about it. Yeah. He felt bad because he realized yeah. that even though he wasn't intentionally being emotionally mm-hmm. manipulated. That's how it could have come across mm-hmm. and so removed himself from the situation. Yeah, he's just a gem. I love him. Um, Buffy, any others? Giles, for their sake, I certainly hope not. <laughs> Buffy, <laughs> what? I kill vampires. It's my job. Giles, true, true. Although you don't usually beat them into quite such a bloody pulp beforehand. Everything all right? And then she goes so on this sweet. like rant about like quote unquote vampires, but it's like <laughs> clearly about dead. Oh my gosh. I know. And like his face the entire time is just kind of like, oh. This <laughs> He's is like not expecting. <laughs> he not can clearly tell. Yeah. yeah. Which is telling because he clues in that she's not all right when Joyce doesn't, which I think is really interesting. Well, and I also think that it's like, it's really cool how he respects her boundaries. Like he asked her like, hey, do you want to talk about it? And when she says no, he doesn't push her. He just is like, okay. Like, and so I like that they're showing that like Giles is a respectable guy who is following Buffy's boundaries instead of Ted, who does not respect her boundaries. Yeah, totally. And I mean, trying to give Joyce grace here because she was drugged for most of the episode. I mean, probably all of it. We don't actually know, but you know. At the same time, I still think that she should have been a little bit more aware. But anyway, so then we have this like clever dialogue because once again, we're given information about Drusilla and Spike, but it also ties in really neatly into Ted and what Buffy is thinking and feeling. Um, And Giles says that, you know, vampires are in the park because 
Drusilla and Spike are gone, hopefully dead. And so in times of crisis, they usually just go to easy hunting grounds, which I thought was really interesting because it implies that vampires are typically pack creatures. And yet every time we see them, they they seem to be alone. Mm. So I don't know. I, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to say compared to like what we've been seeing in the show. It could also be because like the vampires that Buffy dusts are ones that have just been risen. And so they're That's by themselves. That's what I was going to say. It's like they seem like newbies are the ones that she like dusts. And the ones that are more like experienced are usually the ones who travel in packs because yeah. they recognize they need to. Yeah. I guess that would make sense if she was hanging out in cemeteries and graveyards too. She's just staking them as they come up. Um, Buffy, vampires are creeps. Giles, yes. And that's why one slays them. Buffy, I mean, people are perfectly happy getting along, then vampires come, and then they run around and kill people and take over your house and make stupid little mini pizzas, and everyone's like, ooh, and then she like goes off, and Jazz is like, I believe the subtext is rapidly becoming a, a text. <laughs> sure, there's nothing you want to share, and Buffy says there's not, although Giles clearly doesn't believe her, but you know what? He gives her the time to share when she wants to, and then she asks if there's any more vamps and offers to wait. Then we cut to the hallway, and Buffy doesn't want to hear anything about Ted. Xander's in love with the mini pizzas. And, and he's rambling on and on about them. <laughs> I Honestly, though, I was kind of hungry watching the episode. I was like kind of so wanting to like, have some. It made me want pizza so bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, have you ever had like the mini pizzas that they put on like um, the English muffins? It made me just think of bagel bites. I'm like starving. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that Buffy's, Willow's, and Xander's outfits look really good in this scene. Um, Buffy's outfit looks like something that Miss Calendar would actually wear because she's wearing like a knee-length skirt with boots and her hair is half up in a clip, kind of like how Jenny wears her hair. Mm. And then Willow's outfit actually looks a little more mature than what she normally wears because she's wearing like a gray long sleeve shirt and red pants. And even Xander has like just a basic brown button-up shirt. And normally he has like those outfits with the really weird patterns. And I was like, okay, this is pleasant to look at. I forgot to mention that uh, Willow's episode when they're walking out outside in the first scene, she wears a lot of like pastel purples and blues. They're both together and it's like kind of monochromatic. Her like tights are like a really light purple. Her skirt's really light purple. And then her top is like blue and her like sweater is like purple. It's so cute. Yeah, like she's starting to look more cohesive in what she's wearing. Like her, yeah. she's not wearing patterns that clash as much. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because as Buffy's talking about Ted, Willow is very insightful. Like she's watching her friend. And I've noticed that Willow does a really good job of she observes Buffy talking and then she kind of cuts through and figures out what she's actually trying to say and how she's feeling. Um, and she says, you don't like him. And Buffy says, I don't know him. So far, all I see is someone who apparently has a good job, seems nice and polite, and my mother likes him. And Xander, what kind of a monster is he? Buffy, all I'm saying is there's something a little too clean about this clown. And then Willow thinks that's funny, but nobody else does. And she's like, I have my own fun. I was like, mm -hmm. relatable. Yeah. I think it's so interesting. I think we pointed it out before, but Buffy's gut is very rarely wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really interesting that people still don't trust it. Like there is always like, like what? It was the puppet show. No one trusted her gut mm. and Buffy was right. And so it's just like one of those things where it's like when people don't trust Buffy, I'm like, have you guys not learned already to just trust her? Absolutely. I think there's some silly episodes in the future. I'm not going to say where like her gut's like this person's evil. And you're like, okay, Buffy, you're being a little dramatic. 
But I think for the most part, yes. I don't know. I mean, I really want to talk about that episode, but I can't. Never mind. <laughs> Spoiler section is going to be lit. I know, for real. <laughs> I have so much I want to say. But anyway, poor all the people who can't listen to the spoiler section. I know. I'm like, sorry. It. We're just going to go listen to it. <laughs> this moment is interesting, and I have mixed feelings about it. So Willow talks about how separation, anxiety, the mother figure taken away, conflict with the father figure. They're talking about like the Freudian effect or whatever. And Buffy interjects swiftly that he's not her father figure. And Xander starts to kind of like tease her about having parental issues, which, okay, is a little insensitive. Like we know that. But I also kind of like we've talked about how Xander probably doesn't have a great relationship with his parents based upon like the little bits of information that we're given. And so I think this is him using humor because this particular issue hits close to home for him. Mm. I also think he might be deflecting a little bit because he doesn't want people to focus on his parental issues. Well, and I think too, there's a sense of like, I don't know how Willow's home life is, but like we've never met her parents and she's always either with Xander or Buffy. So like, it's interesting that Joyce is the only parent we see out of the three of them. So yeah. I wonder if like Buffy's life with her mom is like the most stable out of the three of them. And so for Buffy to be having parent issues, it might be like maybe a little reassuring to Willow and Xander that, oh, hey, like Buffy has issues too, even though like they're not going about it the best way. Buffy admits that it's hard to see her mom kissing someone, but that it's more than that. And then as she's talking, Ted appears on the stairs behind her. Which I kind of wanted to see him face off with Snyder because I think that would have been entertaining. But yeah, terrifying that he's at school. Buffy, I'm pretty good at sensing things and there's something wrong with this. And then she turns around and Ted catches her by surprise. Um, And he talks about how he's updating the software in the guidance office. And I noted – like I never noticed this before, but the way that they dressed him, his pants are pulled really high like someone from the 50s would wear their pants, which I never really noticed because, to be honest, like most older guys seem to all kind of dress the same. But like now that I like go back and watch, I realize that they were trying to style him like someone from that time era. Well, even like the way he talks like, oh, little lady and things like that, like it's very classic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, even the cast iron skillet, that's such a 50s thing too. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's genius. Man. Yep. So he gives Willow her upgrades. He asks Buffy if she likes miniature golf. Xander interjects before Buffy can respond and – Ted says, well, your mother and I thought this Saturday we'd drag the three of you to the course, spend some time swinging the iron with the stuffy old people. Willow looks really excited. He says he's going to make a picnic basket with the cookies and the mini pizzas. And Xander's like sold. And Buffy tries to get out of it. And I noticed that Willow like looked like she wanted to go, but she was going to be supportive. And she was like trying to cover for Buffy. And Xander's like, hey, we can do that thing anytime. I'm yeah, tired of I- doing that thing. <laughs> I have to give Xander a pass because, like, he is technically drugged as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I will say this scene pissed me off because, like, Willow, who's also drugged, Mm. was like, okay, I'm going to respect Buffy's wishes and, we're, you know, we have something else to do. Whereas Xander's, like, like, literally sacrificing one of his best friend's feelings for some food. Yeah. Like, yep. and he is drugged, so I'll give him a bit of a pass, but it's still annoying. I'm like, come on, Xander, you can make your own pizza. Yeah. 
<laughs> you can make your own pizza. Yeah, it's that's a really good point, Leah. I hadn't thought of that before because I'm like I'm trying to be gracious with Xander and like see through like the diamond and the rough and stuff because um, I do give him a hard time. But like if Willow's able to somehow be able to push through the effects of the drug, then Xander really kind of has no excuse. But then so does Joyce, you know. And it, uh, the, yeah. you could make the, you could make the argument like. You know, Xander may have eaten more than um, Willow, and Joyce is having a heavy intake of it. So it's like, is it the more you have, mm. is it the more it affects you, you know? So I guess the rules of it are not extremely clear. Um, so we can, I'll just give Xander a pass on this one. But when I first watched it, I was like, that's ridiculous, Xander. No, Joyce pisses me off more than Xander does in this episode. So oh, yeah. for once, Xander is in the background. Yeah, I know, right? Who would have thought, right? Um, so then we go to this scene in the computer room, and it's really interesting as Giles kind of walks into the room, we hear the strings and the piano, and it's playing the same music from the dark age. Like it's the exact hmm. um score. And it's very foreboding, and it kind of gives us that little reminder that their relationship has been strained ever since then. Um, and he tells her that some of the textbooks were delivered to the library and asks if she wants him to hang on to them. She barely looks up and mm -hmm. continues what she's doing and says that she'll send the kids by to get them. But to her credit, when he turns to leave, she stops him and says, pretty flimsy excuse to come by to see me. He says, you should see the ones I throw out. Ah, Giles. I, I love this scene, but also part of me was like, Jenny, if you were just going to yell at him or like lecture him, why didn't you just let him leave the room? Yeah. No, I Because I mean, he was going to leave and then she like brought up casual conversation. So he thought it was okay to like mm -hmm. talk to her and see how she's doing. And then she's like, I don't need you constantly asking me. And it's like, well, then why did you continue conversation? Why didn't you let him leave? I do understand. I sympathize with her, but I think she was a little harsh because he was Agreed. really trying to help. Yeah, I and I think and she goes back and apologizes to him later and mm -hmm. everything. I think it's hard. It's a tricky situation because she was really hurt by everything. Yeah. And so course. she's still like obviously recovering from that, but she also still cares for Giles, you can tell. And mm -hmm. so I think there's that conflicted emotion of I want to see him, but then I'm also not 100% ready to see him, but then I also want him to know that like I still care for him. And so like she doesn't want him to leave without him knowing that like she does care for him. And so I think that's why she kept the conversation going. Um, yeah. Like everything it's complicated, you know? Yeah. Um, so Jenny says she's doing good and that she stayed out of mortal danger for three whole weeks that she could get used to it, but that she's having trouble sleeping. Um, and then Giles closes the distance between them and she says she needs space, which is interesting because as soon as she mm. starts the conversation up again, he starts to get closer. Like, hey, like, mm -hmm. cool. Like, let's start back up. Um, and she says, Rupert, I know you're concerned, but having you constantly poking around, making puppy dog eyes, wondering if I'm okay, you make me feel bad that I don't feel better. I don't want that responsibility, which I thought I get was that. really yeah. good. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, like – it's hard because from our perspective, this is the first time we've seen Giles approach her. So we're like, Jenny, you're being harsh because we haven't seen anything else. But if he has been like coming around pretty often, then this conversation would be called for, you know? It's just Yeah, we haven't seen it for sure. Yeah. But you also, it's like he feels guilt because it was like, I mean, the whole metaphor is like he exposed his past demons to her and she was affected by it. And so 
I can understand from his perspective because he just wants to be affirmed. He's just like, I expose so much to you and I know I hurt you, but like, I just feel bad about that. And so, and then from her perspective, she was like, I didn't ask for that. You put me in a situation that's dire and that was terrifying. So it's just, you understand from both perspectives and I feel for both of them. And it's just like poor Giles too, because he's just like, he feels so guilty about it, but he doesn't know how how to help. And then she feels smothered and she's not ready. So they did a really good job of making the tension believable from both ends. That's what, when you know great writing is really working, is if you can understand conflict from both sides. If you make it all one person's side, then you start to really hate the other character. So I'm like, I'm really, like, I was really, like, happy with how they went about this because I really felt for both characters. Yeah, you can see things from both sides. That's a good point, Tabs, about how, like, the great writing, you can see both sides. I totally agree. And also, like, good for Jenny. Like, she's just, I've really been appreciating her this rewatch because Mm -hmm. I'm realizing how strong she is and how she just sticks up for herself. She knows her boundaries. She's she's not allowing Giles to make her feel bad, and she's telling him that. And I think she's being loving by addressing it. And saying, hey, like, you're making me feel bad that I don't feel better and I don't want that responsibility. And I was like, dang, like, I need to get better at saying that Mm. to people and saying, like, hey, you're making me feel bad whether you're intentionally meaning to do that or not. I just need you to know and that that shouldn't be on This is where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. People have different levels and different lengths, I should say, about mourning or going through processes of certain, you know, heavy subjects in their life. Yeah. And you shouldn't feel responsible for people rushing you to be feeling up to par and 100% of what they want you to be like. And that's not your responsibility. You shouldn't be catering to that. Like, this is your process. Like, if you're doing all you can to move forward and to grow and to essentially get over it. I just can't think of an eloquent word at the moment. Mm -hmm. That's very (laughs) insensitive to say. But um, to move on. Yeah. And a lot of people do that. Like, and even like myself, like sometimes I forget that some people are still going through stuff and I will never understand because I haven't gone through that trauma. And it's like, you kind of expect them to be over it within a certain amount of time and that's not okay. Yeah. And I think that's also speaking to the fact that oftentimes when other people are going through stuff, we feel uncomfortable and we don't like feeling uncomfortable. So we're like, we don't know how hey, to help get them. over it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Jenny is like, hey, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not ready yet. And that is okay. Mm -hmm. And you need to be okay with that too. And I think it's just a very, it's a very healthy conversation. Giles apologizes. He doesn't try to guilt her, says he doesn't mean to make dog eyes at her. He's just worried and leaves while saying he shouldn't have bothered her, which again, I think is a healthy response because I didn't feel like he was trying to guilt her. I felt like he was acknowledging what Mm -hmm. she had said and, and doing what she wanted. And in that moment, like, you see the frustration and even the pain on Jenny's face because she wasn't trying to hurt him in that moment. Um, Mm. Yeah. It's just – it was, like, a really, like, complex scene, and I wasn't expecting it. Uh, And then talk about complex scene. Then we go to Angel's place. This scene, too. I was just, like – Oh, my gosh. I love this scene. Yes. Because, like, one, we're seeing them interact like a normal couple. Like, Buffy is talking about, like, normal things. Like, Mm -hmm. she's talking about – the guy who's dating her mom and how she's annoyed and how she's a child of divorce and how, like, there still is that feeling of, like, wanting her dad to be her dad again, you know, married to her mom. Um, 
And then it's just very sweet because, like, you just have angels just, like, listening and, like, you know, it's just a very human scene. And I really love to see them two interact like a normal couple because I feel like we don't get that a lot. Mm -hmm. Since I've seen, like, all the Bengal content I can so much and this is one of those episodes that kind of falls under the I haven't seen a lot episodes. Oh, yeah, under the radar. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forget. And I completely forgot about this interaction. I, for some reason, thought that there was no Buffy Angel interactions in this episode. So when I saw them in the apartment, I was like, oh, it's like there's a like a bangle like interaction that I completely forgot about. And it's like so fun because you're like, I just have all the bangle content like wishing around in my brain constantly. <laughs> and so that like there's one that I forgot about. I'm like, oh, this is so sweet. I just like soaked it up. It's so cute. Yeah. Which speaking of bangle. Um, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but we're actually going to have Bangle or Bangel.insurgent from Instagram with us next week for the next episode, which is super fun. There's some so really stoked. good. Yeah, it was, we've already recorded it and it is a super fun episode and we have not laughed that hard in a long time. It was really <laughs> fun. So you guys are definitely going to want to check it out. She is a huge Bangle, Bangel fan. And She's the best. Yeah, she's so fun. We love you, Bex. And mm-hmm. hopefully we'll have her on here again because it was just a blast. But anyway, so back to Buffy and Angel. So Buffy venting about Ted while bandaging Angel's hand, which is hilarious because Angel is totally capable of bandaging his own hand. Most he's likely. soaking it up. <laughs> he's just letting her do it. Yeah, yeah he's like, sure, you can, uh, you know, bandage my hand. Yeah, as long as you stop talking about Ted. Yeah. And he's like, so you're going to talk about something else at some point? <laughs> <laughs> It felt like a very realistic, like, relationship type thing with the boyfriend's like, okay, I don't want to hear about your mom anymore. (laughs) Buffy, I'm sorry. I just have so much to deal with. I don't need some new guy in my life, Angel. No, maybe your mom does. And I was like, man, some wisdom here. Mm -hmm. And Buffy looks a little ashamed, knows that she's thinking selfishly, and he says loneliness is about the scariest thing there is, which is a callback to mm-hmm. um, out of mind, out of sight with the conversation between him and Giles, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting because once again, Giles is feeling lonely with his relationship being fractured with Jenny. And we know that Angel has experienced that loneliness in his life. And so he's mm-hmm. speaking like obviously from knowledge of that. Buffy, okay, so my mom needs a guy in her life. Does it have to be Ted? Angel, you have somebody else in mind. There's a guy out there that would satisfy you. And then she looks so vulnerable and like her, like she's about to cry. And she says, my dad. I know. And he doesn't say anything. He just rubs her hand with his fingers because he knows. It's just so beautiful. Sarah starts crying. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm crying and I'm just talking about it. And it's just a it. very like, t- it's the type of like scene where you just understand that he sees her. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that she feels that. Well, he even says yeah. like, I think you can tell how vulnerable she is in the moment because he just says, kiss me. Like he just wants to like, kind of like affirm her. And she's like, finally something I want to do. Yeah, Ugh. and we hear we hear little bits of their theme song. I know the same one that we heard from when she was bad, and then some assembly required. Uh, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, she says, "Do I have to like him?" He says, "Kiss me." Uh, yeah. Oh, it's just gorgeous. Oh, it's beautiful. Anyway, all right, that's the last good moment we're gonna have with this episode. Yeah, literally. On, on and the then pain. it goes boop <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the mini golf course. Here we go. Which, 
Okay, so real fast. First of all, I wanted to say, remember in When She Was Bad, when they were all sitting in the classroom at the end and Xander recommended them going to do mini golf? And I'm I sure think, they did that on purpose. They had well, that. They had them actually go do mini golf in this Well, the episode. funny thing is they mentioned that there wasn't actually like a golf course in Sunnydale at one point. And then like, here it is. So maybe it was built fairly recently. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe Sunnydale, they traveled Sunnydale. outside of Sunnydale. Sunnydale is the town that just keeps on giving. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It's just getting bigger by the second. <laughs> I mean, it never says it was in Sunnydale. So they could have driven like to LA or something. That's true. Know. It is on a Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess so. We'll give them, we'll give them grace. Not everything has to be in Sunnydale. They're like, ah, right. Sunnydale's this massive as an airport. <laughs> like, they could have gone somewhere else. Yeah, right. And yet everybody comes in by bus. <laughs> True. Ampata. <laughs> Poor Ampata. Yeah. <laughs> Why do we always bring up Inca Mummy Girl and the other episode that will not be named? Like <laughs> for some reason they just always come to mind. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. Personal antidote time. I promise I will keep it like short, but I absolutely abhor mini golf. I really? hate it. Oh, I, I hate love it. If you mini ever want to see, if you ever want to see like my sin and like the ugliness of Sarah, take me miniature golfing. So, okay. No. Embarrassing story time. <laughs> my, it was my, I think it was like my 15th or 16th birthday. It was like one of those ages where I was like way too old to be throwing a tantrum. And the <laughs> mom, mom and dad decided to take me miniature golfing with all my friends. And it was one of those things oh, where no. like they took us there because it was cheaper to pay for everybody that way versus if like doing anything else. And I just did, kind of didn't want to go. But yeah. Anyway, I was going and I was getting so frustrated because I was losing so badly. And like I threw like a really bad i had a, <laughs> I had a bad attitude like i was getting irrationally angry and we had like all my friends there oh my goodness it's so embarrassing so every see, time i see this scene i like get ptsd <laughs> see i was gonna say this, i like mini golf because every time i've played it i've never been serious like i've always just played it as like for fun with groups of friends and if anyone is ever behind we just let them cheat to catch up <laughs> so it, it's really fun then because then it just honestly becomes a game of who can cheat the best and so then and I usually end up like doing well because like I can cheat really well. And so like then you're like then you have people like running in the like the little like green areas and like kicking the ball to try and get it in. And then you're like kicking other people's because you want to get yours in. Like it's really fun. It definitely depends on who you go with because I've gone with friends. It's been really fun. I've gone on a date there and it's kind of weird to go on a date just because I'm like, I don't know, you're at different lengths of like the court because you'll be like hitting it and then walking across and you're trying to dialogue and it's just kind of weird but with friends is a lot funnier but also sarah that was 15 years ago you should probably go again and see yeah, how it's like. i promise it'll be a lot more yeah. fun than when you're 15 oh my gosh 15 years i was 15 15 years ago i feel so old you're like that's half your life ago no. <laughs> oh man all right i regret bringing that up anyway <laughs> so it's like ever since then Half my life, I have not stepped one foot on No, I actually course. have been miniature golfing since then, and it's improved drastically. I, I just have to go in knowing I'm not going to be good at it and not expect Or just go in and cheat. <laughs> it could be fun. Like, it's I went so once with friends. fun if you cheat. <laughs> and it was, like, raining. Yeah, it could be really fun. And, like, there was, like, a really pretty place in, like, Glendale or something that I went to once. And it was, like, the courses were really gorgeous. So if you go to a really nice one other than, like, Palmdale – 
um, then you'll actually enjoy it. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind for the next time. I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to go. Anyway, all right, let's talk about the scene. So Joyce tells Ted that the picnic was delicious, which, again, excellent writing to let us know that they all have eaten. So everybody really likes Ted right now. Mm-hmm. This scene curdles my blood. <laughs> like, first of all, I've already I've already explained that I cheat when I play mini golf because it's mini golf. Who would not cheat? Like, do I look like a professional golfer? No, no one who goes mini golfing is a professional golfer. You're Leah, no one fun. knows what you look like. So <laughs> describe us. T- okay. you describe yourself. Based, to us. based on my voice, do I sound like a professional? Golfer? <laughs> and the answer is a resounding no. <laughs> but here's the fact of the matter: no one who goes to play mini golf is playing to be serious. If you are, you're a weirdo. I am. Like, okay. No. Every time I go, I'm like, I need to win. <laughs> you go, you go to Sarah's have competitive. Fun. That's the whole point of mini golf. It's like to have fun, to just goof off. So the fact that like, oh, it just irks me how like Buffy makes like a terrible shot because it's mini golf. And then her mom is trying to be supportive and being like, oh, it's fine. Like, we'll just not count it, you know? And then like, he's like, no, we're going to count it. I literally would turn around and be like, uh, I'm sorry, you can count your shots. I will not be counting mine. Like, it's so, ugh. It just irks me how he, like, overwrites her mom. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, but I don't want to overstep. After he's already overstepped. Well, that's not necessarily the part that I was frustrated at. Other than the whole, you know, him sm- pretending to sm- or saying he's going to smack her later on. But... He's, he's like, oh, Buffy, I bet all the boys are lining up around the block to get a date with you. I hate when older people make awkward comments about that. They're like, oh, so who are you dating? I'm like, can we just talk about normal things? This is so uncomfortable. <laughs> You'd be like, so um, is this your second divorce, Brenda? <laughs> <laughs> For real. Yeah, it's like, why does that but matter? But they just, like, older people always like to just say that about girls. They're like, oh, boys must be just really, like, wanting to date you. Like, that's just such a thing. I've heard that so it's much honestly, in my life. Like, what me, are you supposed to say to them? Yeah. Yes, they are. <laughs> to me, it just reads super predatory and maybe i'm reading into that but it's like the way that i have always observed that kind of comment is like oh i objectively think you're attractive therefore men your age should be attracted to you so every time i've gotten that like quote-unquote compliment i've always been like ew please leave me alone like but how am i supposed to respond to that like first of all no that i know of but also, if they were, what what am I supposed to say? Like, yeah, I'm really desirable. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but also, like, that he talks about how he knows her grades. And I'm like, Joyce, oh. why would you give him that? Why would you give him that, like, power over her? I don't know. Well, I think that it's okay if, like, let's say Buffy was getting really bad grades. And, like, Joyce was really struggling with it. I could see her, like you know, talking with the guy that she's dating being like, oh, I'm really struggling, you know, I don't know how to talk to my daughter about her grades. It's like, too early in a relationship, though. Too well, early. We, to be fair, we don't know how long they've been dating. But I think it's okay to talk to your partner about issues and parenting or whatever. What's inappropriate is to then bring it up in front of the kid and act like that is your business. She, like, she confided in you as a girlfriend, not as a father. Yep. One, she says, you know, he wants to know everything about you, Buffy, which is another red flag. Because at this point, like, Buffy should be opening up and being given as much information as she feels comfortable. Mm -hmm. I think it comes down to, and this is something, like, I feel very strongly about as a parent, your child is not an extension of you. 
Your child mm. is their own independent person. And so Joyce is treating Buffy as if she's an extension of herself. And so, like, yes, obviously – Joyce is dating Ted, which means Buffy's going to kind of have some sort of a relationship with him, but that should go according to the pace that Buffy wants it to go at. Buffy's relationship with Ted is different and separate from Joyce's relationship with Ted. And I think that probably in normal circumstances, Joyce would maybe be taking things slower. I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing yes, but I think it's Ted. And I think it comes from this very fifties mindset of family is everything. And family is um, like, you know, we tell each other everything. Mm-hmm. Well, and we, like the father figure is like the end all be all. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's a misogynistic um, viewpoint. And it's just the way of like, I know everything about you and I'm super involved. And, and also it's a very, like the mindset of, you know, your children are extensions of you is a very fifties mindset too. Like your child is expected to grow up and do this and be this and all that stuff because they represent they are, you. They represent you. Exactly. I hate that. Like yeah. if your if your child does anything, screws up in any way, they're like, you're representing me bad. No. Yeah, they're no, they're their person. own separate person. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, and and then it's just sad because she kind of is oblivious to Buffy. She just kind of brushes her off to immediately say, "Oh, good shot, Ted." Like not even realizing how that's hurt Buffy. Like Joyce should have stopped and gone. Oh, I am sorry. That was personal information that maybe you didn't want shared. Mm-hmm. Either say, "I'm sorry, my bad," or like something, something. But she just kind of moves on. And then, yeah, and then we go from that to Ted correcting Buffy and trying to parent her, keep your eye on the ball, watch those elbows, which those are all dad things, right? Like our dad said that to us too, which our dad was a coach, but you know, it was either also way, our dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not her father. And so once again, just stepping in where he's not supposed to be, she whacks it off the course. And then this is what you're talking about, Leah. Joyce doesn't want to count it since it's just miniature golf. And then Ted goes into his whole rules are rules. What we teach her is what she takes into the world when we're but not it's, there. It's also like she's not a third grader. She's yeah. literally – I think she's almost – she's 16 now. So she would be – a either a sophomore or junior in high school she's close to being 17 too at yeah at this point she's old enough to drive she's like old enough to get a job she's old enough to practically sustain herself if she needed to so it's like she really doesn't need your guidance like she has everything she needs to go out into the world and so it's like it's a very he just it's so obvious it's patronizing he, he views her as so much lesser than what she is mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's just a lot of manipulation going on there he's grooming her in a lot of ways too and he's grooming her friends like he's grooming joyce he's grooming all of them to like him um so he can abuse buffy essentially um and he totally gaslights joyce when he says you know i think or not gaslights her, but he doesn't manipulate her. And he says, I think right is right. And then Joyce is like, well, I mean, like, he has a point. Yeah, maybe he has a point, but, like, is that his place, you know? But it's um, also, like, it's a game. Like. Yeah. You're making this a, into a weird issue. Yeah. Well, and it's. it's. I hate when people do this when they make, like, an overgeneralization and, and they force you into a corner of, like 
a black and white answer. Mm. So it's like, let's say you like asked your parent for like five bucks and then someone's like, well, do you think it's right to mooch off of other people? It's like, well, no, I don't, but I don't think that's what's going on. So it's like they try to oversimplify a situation that is just too, I I don't know what the word is, but yeah, you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, it's one of those things where you have to like take into account the person's motivations. Buffy's like not actively trying to cheat here. Buffy's just there to spend time. And isn't the point for you all to like hang out and spend time together? And have fun. And have fun, right. So if everybody else doesn't care, then you move on. But I mean, the point is he's a robot. He's incapable of being able to sort that out. He's black and white. He has no other capabilities for nuance to him. The world is this or that, you know? So yeah, then we have this horrid scene where Buffy goes, grabs it, puts it in the hole, and then Ted begged to differ, which I was kind of like, what was what was so creepy about this scene? Like what what made it so terrifying? The fact that and, he appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, that. But he also had his sunglasses on for the entirety of the scene right before. And then he takes them off to talk to Buffy. And it's like this close-up shot and you can see his eyes. And John Ritter does a good job of like playing Ted's eyes is just kind of dead. Like he's talking with this intensity, but his eyes are just like, there's no emotion there. He's also hitting his like, what's that called? Oh, the, the, the- club. Yeah, the club on his, like, leg really hard. I feel like that's such, like, a – I don't know if that's what, like, angry people do. Well, or, it's, like, like – it. Uh, the way that I read like it was, like – It's, relief tension. Yeah, he was, like, almost mm-hmm. trying to stop himself from mm-hmm. hitting her. Yep. So he was mm-hmm. hitting himself. Mm-hmm. That's how I read it, too. Yeah, well, and the idea, too, that, like, he's metal, so it didn't hurt him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's when Buffy's just like, okay. And that's when we kind of clue into there's something slightly off about this guy. More than um, slightly. Yeah, more than slightly. Yeah, and he goes off on the rant of right is right. And then he says, he talks about how I don't see how people don't see that. He starts like general, generalizing to people. And um, he says, I don't stand for that kind of malarkey in my house. <laughs> and then Buffy, Buffy says, says, it's a good thing we're not in your house. Yeah. <laughs> right? I love that line. I, I think that's probably exactly what I would say. I'd be like, uh, good thing we're not in your house. Like, yeah. check where you're at, dude. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and he says, do you want me to slap that smart ass mouth of yours? And the camera zooms in on his face. It just, yeah, it's creepy. Buffy Ugh. looks shocked. And then all of a sudden, everyone turns around. He does a 180, looks completely different, puts his sunglasses back on and offers everyone dessert. And yeah, it's just, it's kind of, a, it's just a scary scene because it's like, what is Buffy supposed to do? Like, we don't normally see Buffy in this kind of situation where she's, helpless like she can't hit him she's he's not something she can just go kill it's just really terrifying so in the summer's kitchen first of all buffy's shirt is gorgeous i love it i want it it's like the red and black with the deep v-neck the matching cute. sweater with it Hmm. yeah especially with her hair up she looks really sophisticated mm. joyce offers her sticky buns but buffy immediately turns them down once she knows ted made them <laughs> Which I think it's interesting that they kept making points to show that Buffy was turning down his food for different reasons, but it also showed why she was able to think so clearly in comparison to everyone else because she was not eating the food. Yeah. Ted really, like, made sure that there was food at their house at all times. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Well, and then, like, this whole conversation, like, 
Joyce just kind of gaslights her, saying, like, oh, he said no such thing. Like, and I feel like I know that she's drugged, but it's like, Joyce, has Buffy ever lied to you about stuff that this that's this serious? I know that there's like she doesn't know she's the slayer, so there's some sketchiness going on, but as far as she knows, she's been proven to be like not a liar. Mm. Um, but also not even to take it into consideration. And be like, hey, like, let's see if she's telling the truth. Like, but just completely dismiss it immediately. Yeah, if there's any possibility that the guy that she could be dating threatened her daughter. Mm-hmm. we Like, I think the thing is, is that it's so important to know that Joyce is drugged. Because I think that everyone should know that if Joyce was not, if we know from, like, school's hard, that if. Buffy is ever in danger. Joyce is the first person there. And so it's so weird to see her so unalarmed by what is an actual threat to Buffy's safety. Yeah, and they they make it a point that Joyce is drugged. I mean, once you know later on, because she's just like eating the food constantly. Mm-hmm. And so it's a reminder, this is not who Joyce actually is. So I, I take comfort in that. But it is really hard because she says, it's not like men beat down the door, dot, dot, dot. And Buffy's like, when you're a single parent. And I was like, that's a low blow. Like, don't make your kid feel bad that they're in existence. Like, don't make them feel bad that their very existence keeps you from dating other people. Like, that's just – that's out of their control. I think that the way this is written was so masterfully done because stuff like this happens all the time. But right. specifically, this is the part where I was like, oof, gosh, this is so good, the way they wrote this. She focuses on one small thing that he did that was good or decent and then says, like – but he cares about, you know, I wouldn't like date somebody who didn't care for you. I just wish that you was, you would see that. And then she says, oh, he told me about your little like cheating thing. And he didn't bring it up to anyone else, which I think is really decent of him, which I feel like is what people do. And when they really like somebody, they hyper focus on the small things that they do that are like mm-hmm. inches of decency. And they hyper focus on that. And they're like, look what they're doing. Look what they're doing in this way. And like they disregard all the other like major red flags but i also just think that it's interesting that because he claimed that buffy cheated like he immediately invalidated anything buffy mm-hmm. would say because oh, she him. she's just trying to deflect because she cheated mhm yep yep no he's he's clever and he he really is coming between them she said ted said that we are just going to have to give you time to come around like he's fully fully taken over the parent mm-hmm. role now to the point where joyce has taken a complete back seat um and then joyce says they want she wants her home at 6 because he's making dinner for them um and then goes back to eating more of ted's Which, food this is like one of the first times that i can recall that buffy has a curfew yeah like, the only mm-hmm. other times we've seen, you know, Joyce well, like, hey, you grounded. have to come home, is when she's grounded. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, this is the first time, like, that we've actually seen, like, rules being put into play for Buffy. Yeah, and it's jarring because we're not used to this. We're used mm-hmm. to, like, Joyce not being here for the past three episodes and Buffy getting to do what she wants to do. So back at school, Buffy wants Willow to hack into his files and dig up dirt on him. And Willow says Buffy just wants there to be something on him. But both Willow and Xander in this episode are eating his food, which I thought was interesting. And then Xander sees Cordelia and compliments her on her outfit. Cordelia, oh, very funny. She doesn't think that he's being genuine. (laughs) 
<laughs> and Cordelia, what are you saying? Nice outfit, Cordelia. Well, why don't you just keep your mouth shut? And Xander's mm. like, uh, okay, excuse me. This and I whole think- interaction is so funny to me because then he's like going up there and she's like, ah, why did you do that? And they like have this whole argument. And then uh, she's like, ah, is that all you ever think about? It's like making out. And then he's like, yeah, I want to go to make out. She's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, and she's like shouting at him. About how everyone's going to find out about their relationship. I know. How did no one even notice that? <laughs> I walk you by. I'd be like, <laughs> I think put in my ear up against. Like, people are so used to Cordelia and Xander fighting that if they That's hear true. them shouting, they're just going, ah, it's Cordelia and Xander yelling at each other again. That's Especially true. since we know they've known each other since they were like in preschool or kindergarten. Like they probably so used to them butting heads. That's true. I think it's interesting that Willow, what's up with them? Like, I've noticed that Willow's the one that kind of is, she's not, she doesn't obviously didn't, doesn't know what's happening, but she's been the one that's um, noticed when things are off between the two of them. Well, I think it's because she's so hyper aware of yeah. Sander. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so then back with Buffy and Willow. Buffy, Will, I'm not wrong here. Ted has a problem with me. He acts like I'm in the way. Bomb's been totally different since he's been around. Willow, different like happy. Buffy, like Stepford, will you help me? Willow, you know I will. What do you want me to look for? Um, and so then uh, Willow works fast because she was like – Buffy's like, I want to know where he works. Like, next scene. It's the same day. It's lunchtime. Like, Buffy got over there fast. So she's at Ted's office. And he's at his desk selling some software. Then he goes to the board and puts the tally for a sale. He has 24 sales from just that day. Can I – I have a question. I thought about this this time. And I feel like this is a really good question. So (laughs) – Well done, Tabs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If all of his clients – are so easily agreeing with him. Does he just send them cookies beforehand and then talk with them on the phone so they have to agree with him? Or is he just such a good salesman mm. that he just coerces them into like saying yes? I took it as because he's a robot that he's probably just following a, a pre-program in his mind. But he also is very aware of technology because he is a robot. So I just took it that he's a good salesman because he's practically selling what he's made of what if he just scanned you know they have those like scripts for what people say he just scans it all and then just recites it all every time he's like talking to them i don't know but i just thought i was like man like but then you'd have to like make sure the cookies got to them in time before you like talk to them on the phone say it agree with you it's a lot of work I mean, okay, that's a good question, Tabs. And honestly, I don't think it matters. And here's why. I'm not saying that your question doesn't matter. But I don't know. I I was just curious. I don't think it matters, like, whether they eat the cookies or not. Because as we see, like, Ted, apart from the cookies, is a really good manipulator. Like, Mm -hmm. the way that he went to – like, just the scene before, he went to Joyce and told her about Buffy beforehand. Like, we see how he's able to get the control of things and kind of, like, talk his way out of, like, anything. So, I I see it as, like, this guy is just really good at selling himself to other people. And, like, literally, like, he's selling his parts. Like, yeah, it's just kind of funny. And they, like, kind of said – the whole like phrase that I was like, oh my gosh, you guys were just waiting for this one where they're like, oh, he's a machine. Yeah, like, his nickname Ha-ha. is the machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did that Funny. a couple times throughout the episode where they referred to him as something like mechanical. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, yeah, this Neil guy is hilarious. I would totally be BFFs with him if I like worked there. He's just like spilling the tea. <laughs> <laughs> be like, tell me more. 
He's like, if I sound bitter, it's because I am. (laughs) (laughs) And then he tells her that he has the wedding set for two months from now. So, like, he's been thinking about it. He's been planning it, which is... Uh, that'd be a huge red flag for me but like i just met this dude he's actually like my dad and he already has the wedding planned for two months from now and as far as she knows they're not engaged yep yeah and he's like amazed that he let her clutter his desk there's like one picture one picture (laughs) well and just like the fact that like oh he took the picture and then folded buffy out of it Mm -hmm. instead of just asking joyce for like a portrait it's so creepy yeah no it totally is um, so then we have this fantastic scene in the dining room, just like rife with tension. So Ted's like praying over the food and Buffy just stares at him with her eyes open, which cracks me up. She's like not even trying to, to bow her head, just like stare straight at him, which we're we're seeing it from Buffy's perspective. So at this point, we're just like, yeah, Buffy, don't even don't give him the time of day. Don't even just like give him the decency of bowing your head. But the fact that he knew that she probably wasn't closing her eyes because he just looks up with confidence and just stares right at her when he's praying. Also, this this prayer pissed me off. <laughs> I will say he's like, what he say? He's like, oh, I I wish everyone in this house to be more productive, be more considerate, and more honest. And he opens up his eyes. I'm like, ew, ew. God. Yeah, and Buffy's like kettle or like what is it? The pot calling the kettle black or whatever it is. Kettle calling mm. the pot black. I don't remember. But yeah. Uh, and then Joyce is over there like, amen. Best prayer ever. Let's eat this delicious drugged food. <laughs> and then Ted asks Buffy how school was and if she learned anything. And it was weird because like he leans over towards her and talks to her like she's six years old. How was school today? What'd you learn? And Buffy, quite a bit, <laughs> without looking away. <laughs> and I love how they made every opportunity where Buffy could have eaten for it to be natural that she didn't. Because this situation, she like, I didn't even notice she didn't even eat the food. Like, she just got up and was excused upstairs. Yeah. No, seriously, like, I wonder what would have happened if she'd eaten it. It's just, yeah, there was mm-hmm. a lot of food and they had to figure out ways of making Buffy not eat the food. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then... Buffy yeah, refuses to eat the food and then she asks if they're engaged, which I was like, good for her for just like getting it out in the open. Um, Joyce says no. Ted says he'll handle it, Joycey. Uh, <laughs> Joycey, let me take care of this. <laughs> oh, I'm getting angry again. <laughs> and he says that he just might ask Joyce to tie the knot someday soon. How would you feel about that? No. <laughs> Go I ahead, Leah. I kill myself. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Buffy's so funny, but this line, I honestly was like dying. Because, like, one, that's what a teenager would say. Like, but two, like, honestly, if if that was me in my situation, I literally would be like, yeah, I'd kill myself too. Like, that sounds god awful. Yep. And he says, sweetheart, you need to try to get used to me because I'm not going anywhere. I'd be like, well, but then I'm going also- somewhere. I'm leaving. <laughs> It's also funny to me that, like, both Joyce and him were like, Buffy, we want your true feeling. Like, we want your honest. And Mm -hmm. she was like, okay. And told him, she's like, I'd want to kill myself. And Joyce is like, Buffy. (laughs) (laughs) You're not allowed to be that honest. (laughs) Too many feelings. I'm uncomfortable. It's like Jenny with Joyce or Jenny with Giles. You know, Buffy's all like, "Um, excuse me. Like, you're making me uncomfortable. Yep. We should really make a tally of every time I say poor Buffy in every like podcast because this next scene with her on the swings I'm just like oh. Oh, poor Buffy 
It's beautiful. Just the shot of the leaves blowing in the wind mm-hmm. while she swings. Beautiful shot. And, and then like the music and she's got the steak and she's like, here, vampires. <laughs> she just, just wants something to fight because she's just like, I need to get out of the house. Yeah. Well, and it says a lot that she'd rather go fight vampires mm-hmm. than be home. You know, and this is like, it's just really interesting because this entire time we're watching her struggle with her slang life and her home life. And this is like a huge mixture of it. And for once, it's almost like she's preferring to be a slayer over being human, which says Mm. a lot. So then she climbs back in her, her window into her room. And it's interesting because her room normally is not this dark, but also She's very loud while coming in. Like, it normally doesn't feel this loud. And we're all just kind of like, shh, like, tender, be quiet. (laughs) And it's cleverly lit because you can tell they put a light underneath, like, this parasol in the corner. And Buffy is completely shrouded in darkness, but so is Ted. And, like, you can just see, like, his arm, I think, and then um, across, like, the chair and stuff. And, like, the wall is backlit, but his face is, like, so dark. You can't mm-hmm. even see anything. How did Joyce not know that, like, he wasn't with her for a long see, period of okay, time? See, okay, that's my question, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Did, like, Ted pretend to leave? Is he spending the night? Like, Yeah, so many on? questions. Because, like, if I – if my new boyfriend was spending the night, I – want to be around him especially i don't know like especially it seems like he's been up there for a long time he's just been like pitching his tent and like and everything and just been sitting there so i don't know like unless joyce is like doing the dishes and i was like oh get ready upstairs but other than that i don't don't really understand i think it makes it more ominous because it's like he could have drugged joyce he could have done anything, and yeah. we just don't know. So I think that's what makes it scarier. But this seriously makes my heart drop every time I see mm-hmm. it, whenever we look. And she has her holy water, her steaks, her crosses, her garlic, her diary out on the table next to him. Because then, like, it legitimately – I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Is this the episode Joyce finds out that she's a slayer? Like, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? Well, I also – this whole scene is so interesting to me because, like, one – I just find it fascinating that they're playing with the idea that Buffy is strong enough to kill someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's like what happens when Buffy can't keep her emotions in check. But also, too, I genuinely like remember the first time I watched this, I didn't I thought he was a guy like I thought she killed someone. Mm -hmm. And so they really do a good job of like maintaining that facade. Yeah. Buffy, that's my personal property. How dare you, Ted? I don't see how it's any different than you snooping around my office, do you? What exactly is a vampire slayer? Oh, boy. I know you really went for it. You know, there's like those supernatural or like um superhero shows where it's like they have that episode where it seems like they're going to get caught. Like this is that episode in Buffy, but it's like someone literally knew – and then you think that she kills him and he ends up like not being a human or whatever. But it's like they really went through all of it where it was like all of it, it was exposed. And then it ended up happening where that person ended up dying. So it wasn't, you know, tell other people. But like when you watch like superhero shows be like, oh, like they accidentally walk in on something and they have to like make up some excuse or like whatever. But I was just like, dang, they really went there in this episode. Yeah. No, like it. 
it's when he becomes an actual threat. It goes from like, yeah. okay, he's annoying, but now he's gone to her school. But he's it's jarring. in her home. Yeah. He's in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's just terrifying. He's looked um, through her stuff. He like literally yeah. calls her vampire Sarah says, Are you gonna slay me? Which he he's read up on like her diary so much so that he knows the jargon. Yeah. Yeah. He says, I'm real. I'm not some goblin you made up in your little diary. Psychiatrists have a word for something like this, delusional. And he approaches her. He says, so from now on, you'll do what I say, when I say, or I show this to your mother, which like, that's a genuine threat. And you'll spend Mm -hmm. your best dating years inside a mental institution. Your mother and I are going to be happy you're not going to stand in the way, which like we're all getting angry as like this is going mm-hmm. on, and then he tries to leave the room with the diary. Like he's yep. gonna keep it with like, and we know she's written about Angel in that diary. Like, yep. there's lots of stuff in there. Buffy tells him he's not leaving the room with it. Then he hits Buffy, and this is just like mm, Shep's kiss. It's beautiful, mm-hmm. and and you could see Buffy like she just slowly raises her head and looks at him oh i was so hoping you do that and i wrote so were we (laughs) yeah yep. (laughs) and they begin to fight and joyce comes in just as buffy gets the upper hand so we think but Mm -hmm. from what ted says to buffy later on he intentionally shuts down to make it appear as if buffy is hurting him and he's defenseless um, and then we have that really cool shot from above of Buffy kicking Ted down the hall and down the stairs. And Jeff Pruitt, the stunt coordinator, says that there's actually a shot that was included that was at the wrong angle that you weren't supposed to see when Buffy kicks him right before he goes down the stairs because from that angle, you can clearly tell that Buffy's foot does not hit the stunt double at all. And like he goes back and um, Jeff Pruitt was like pretty upset because he was like, everyone's going to think that I don't know what I'm doing. And yeah, they put the shot in. But like, I don't know. I think the shot is really cool. I actually really like it. I didn't even notice. Yeah, right. And so then he goes, falls down the stairs. You hear his neck snap. Joyce confirms that he's dead. You killed him. She looks at Buffy accusingly. And we're all just like, oh, no, stop. Like, Buffy's beating herself up already. Like, you don't need to look at her like that. Mm-hmm. To be fair, I will. I'm trying to give her some credit just because, like, this was her boyfriend. And her daughter seemingly killed him. So See, it's like, I actually, rough. okay, I actually feel like considering the circumstances, Joyce handled this rather well. That's true. Okay. She never ever says anything mean to Buffy about this. Mm. She All she asks from her is that Buffy gives her time. Mm. And she doesn't yeah. say it in a really mean way. She just says, Buffy, I'm not ready to talk about this. Yeah. And I think that that's really respectable. Like, she did just go through losing a, a guy she loved, regardless yeah. of if he was scum. Like, she Yeah, but she... Him. Buffy mentions, like, at school that her mom doesn't even look at her and, like, and ignores her for days. Like, that's where it's a little bit frustrating. Like, you're allowed to go through mourning and you're allowed to go through that. But it's like when you're like, Buffy clearly is going through something because she feels bad that this happened. It's like you can't even look at her. But it's also like, you know, as much as Buffy is hurting, so is Joyce. Like, Joyce is mourning someone. So it's like we have to give her grace. I don't know. I, yeah, it's it's a rough situation. It's like, but it's your daughter. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. But then it, on the other hand, Joyce is like, my daughter burns down a gym. My daughter murders someone. Like, what is my daughter capable? Like, that would be really hard as a parent yeah. to be like, 
And it's also, I'm sure there's a cognitive distance because Joyce is like, this is not who I see Buffy, like Mm. the Buffy that lives with me that I'm with every day. Like they have these sweet moments, but then she's also like, my daughter's violent. Like, what is this? You know? So I'm sure Joyce has like a lot of mixed emotions. Plus she's probably still kind of drugged up most likely with the amount of food she's been eating. Maybe there's some sort of detox period. Anyway, so we see a body bag zipped up as Buffy sits stunned on the porch. Detective Stein asks Joyce questions, and Joyce covers for Buffy, which I was like, I'm going to give her props for that, says that Ted fell, but Buffy immediately jumps in and says, no, I hit him, which is interesting because this proves Ted wrong, that Buffy actually will Mm -hmm. take responsibility because, remember, she was cheating Mm -hmm. during the golf game, but she's willing to take responsibility and ownership when she actually does mess up. A common theme of people always underestimating Buffy's either character or her fighting abilities. And so I just – I love to see it. I'm just like, oh, like she didn't like – I mean – it is the moral thing to be honest about it, but like she literally, her mom lied for her. She could have gone along with it, but she was like, no, I hit him. Yeah. And then again, we're in a police station. Like this is just a weird episode. Yeah, we're like, it is. What is happening? Like Joyce is sitting there while Buffy's in like being interrogated. Like we are so far out of the Slayer depth. But like, it's also just like the fact that like Buffy was honest and was like yeah. willing to take absolute responsibility is just so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's admirable for sure. And then Buffy is trying to tell them that they got into an argument. The way that the detective is asking questions is not very clear. Buffy gets kind of overwhelmed. And then he says, you know, he he, he kind of like dismisses what she has mm-hmm. to say. Like he says, well, it looks like he didn't hit you very hard. Buffy, yeah. I don't bruise easily. He's like, so you've been hit before. Like, where are you getting that assumption from? But also like when he says like, oh, you don't have a bruise. It's kind of... I feel like this is what a lot of girls go through where it's like they don't have physical evidence. And so there's no it's basically their word against theirs. And this situation like Ted is dead. So it's like it's literally your word against like nothing, a corpse. So I think she has more of the upper hand in this case. But when it comes to like girls who have gone through stuff and then they don't have any physical evidence, it's like people will dismiss it. Like, well, clearly you don't have bruises. So it didn't happen. But I just like, ugh, I just, I can't imagine if people have ever gone through stuff like this. Yeah. Well, and it's also metaphorical for, you know, oh, if I didn't see it, it didn't happen. So what happens yeah, if someone sure. is manipulating you and being emotionally abusive? Does that count? Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening, you know? The detective's like, I believe you. Things got out of hand. He's a big guy. Those things don't go together. You can't say you believe her and then say he's a big guy because then he's also like, well, how did you hurt him? Like, you know, it's yeah, he was very, giving us weird vibes. Yeah, it's very odd. It's kind of hard to get a read on him. Um, so Joyce takes Buffy home and this scene is just it's really like Christoph Beck outdid himself with the score because you have them in the car and you have the music like doing that whole like as they're going on and then the the lights are fading on and off their faces they're driving through the car in almost conjunction with the music is just beautiful which quick tangent side note did you guys know that christoph beck did the music for wandavision oh I know. yep but what reminded me is the music here the dissonance reminded me a lot of the wandavision like the whole yeah. the devil's tritones anyway so back at school 
Buffy is wearing the overalls of pain. This is our third time. It was yeah. School Heart and uh, Inca Mummy Girl. And this is the yes. third one. Yes. Okay. Thanks for keeping track. I was like, I couldn't remember Inca Mummy Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so people are like talking about her, whispering about her. Willow and Xander ask Buffy what happens. Xander says, what was he? And Buffy in tears looks down and mm-hmm. doesn't answer. And Willow's like, I'm sure it wasn't your fault. He started it. Buffy says, yes, that defense only works in six-year-old court, Will. Buffy isn't sure if they're charging her yet. She says, he was a person and I killed him. Xander, it was an accident. Buffy says, I'm the slayer. I had no right to hit him like that. Mm. Xander says, look, Buffy, I don't know what happened exactly, but I do know you and I know you would never hurt anyone intentionally. Unless, and then Buffy says, unless they were dating my mother. And I I wrote, what is Buffy capable of? Being a slayer doesn't make her unaccountable to human laws. And so this is like, this is an interesting dichotomy of like, Buffy lost control there for a little bit. Like she What if she was wrong? Yeah, she, in her mind, she thought he was human. Like, regardless of the fact that he wasn't, it's a good lesson for her and that she needs to be careful and that she actually needs to like take a little bit more control of her emotions and herself. But it's also so hard because it's like if this was just a normal like teenage girl, you know, she would just be defending herself. And yeah. so it's like it's so hard because like because Buffy unfortunately has that extra level of strength, she has to like have an extra level of self-control but i do think that she did go overboard with him like she could have just hit him to get him to stop she literally like they took pains to show how she kicked him out of her room against the bathroom door across the hallway down the entire length of the hallway and then down the stairs like she was angry and so i do think in some way she lost control you know even if she was defending herself um she used i guess what we would call excessive force Um, So Buffy leaves and Giles is exiting a classroom with a bunch of men in suits and then asks if she's all right. And then he's like, stupid question. I'm sorry. If there's anything you need, just ask. And then tells her that the detectives are asking questions about Buffy's behavior. And then we see that they're looking at her school files, which I was like, oh, my gosh, like this can't get any worse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And especially if Snyder was there. Well, her school files definitely show a record of like – Violence. Kind of violence, yeah. If they even mm-hmm. just call Snyder, like, this whole thing's over. Seriously. Yeah. He's all like, expulsion. I've been waiting for this one. Yeah, seriously. So in the library, Xander is sure that Ted was up to something. So Willow starts doing research on the computer. Cordelia, I thought you liked him, Xander. I sometimes like things that aren't good for me as he looks at Cordelia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ah. Giles comes out of the cage with that slang bag that he was holding earlier and begins to pack the weapons in it. Willow asks for a pen. So Xander goes and looks in his bag and finds Ted's cookies and gets really excited again. Um, Cordelia brings up the point that Buffy should have different rules because she's a slayer. Giles points out that she's beating herself up because she killed a human and that the guilt won't go away anytime soon. Cordelia says, I guess you should know since you helped raise that demon that killed that guy that one time. (laughs) No, yeah. He's like, yes, please let's bring that up at every given chance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Giles says he's going to patrol since Buffy's not in any shape too. 
Willow's like, you shouldn't go without the Slayer. And Giles, somehow forgetting about Kendra, says, until Buffy's better, there is no Slayer. I was like, did we just forget about Kendra? Kendra's like across the world, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, I was about to say, I was like, she's like in a completely different place in the world. So it makes sense because like this is where the Hellmouth is. Yeah, well, and I, I think that if Buffy had, like, let's say she had been charged and then had to actually go to prison and stuff, I think that they would ask Kendra to come in and stay in Sunnydale. They would have to, man. They would. This would definitely be a situation that you would need Kendra. So he leaves to go patrol, and Willow is frustrated that Ted has no record, and she says he's like citizen of the year. And then Xander suddenly like super chill, and Willow, ever the genius, ever the MVP, gets suspicious and looks at his cookie and is like, "All right, here we go." Which again. Of course, Xander would keep the cookies in his backpack for later or like his duffel. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, it's just I love how naturally they flow with the information in the episode. So at the Summer's house, okay, is Joyce packing up Ted's dishes that he left there or is she like – I think they're just leftover dishes that um, she never used while cooking because it doesn't really seem like she cooks a lot. But Ted used because he cooked – And so they're Mm. her dishes, but I think she's just getting rid of them. Well, because she says, I've been meaning to clean out this junk for months, which I thought was interesting. I put LOL, most guys leave clothes or a toothbrush. Ted left his dishes. (laughs) (laughs) He's the 50s wife. Yeah, he is. Yeah, exactly. Um, This is just sad. Joyce won't look at Buffy at all. Mm -hmm. It's done. I've been meaning to clean out this junk for months. And Buffy, in tears, I didn't mean to hurt him. And Joyce just doesn't want to talk about it, understandably. But, like, your daughter's hurting. You really understand both sides, though. At least I do. Like, I really see the fact that, like, Joyce is trying her very hardest to not blame Buffy, to give Buffy the benefit of the doubt. But she's also in pain and she's hurting. And then you have Buffy who just, like, wants her mom to believe that it was an accident and that she feels sorry. I just, my thing is that if I were Joyce, I would be concerned of how Buffy's going to react because she just killed somebody. So as much as I wouldn't want to talk about it, I would at least reassure her that I still love her at the very least. And on top of that, like Buffy's trying to tell Joyce what happened. She's trying to give her her side of the story. In this entire episode, Joyce has not listened to Buffy's side mm-hmm. once. And I think that's what's frustrating. Yes. Yes, she's hurt. Yes, she's trying to mourn and all this stuff. But she also needs to kind of like hear both sides too. She's not listening to her daughter at all. Um, and something I've noted in this episode is the parallels between Jenny and Joyce and Giles and Buffy. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but there are several references to the Dark Age and the the conversation we have with Buffy and Joyce in this moment is very similar, even in mannerisms to the conversation between Giles and Jenny earlier. And Joyce is even like, I can't talk about this, Buffy, not right now. Like in so many words is I need space. I need, I need time to process my grief, um, which is very similar to what Joyce said to Giles. And in that, in a similar vein, you know, Jenny was possessed by Igon. Joyce was drugged by Ted. Both are victims. Um, and they're not necessarily responsible for their actions. So I think I need to remember that when I watch Joyce in this episode. And I think that the episode's trying to tell us in as subtly as possible that Joyce is, that's not who Joyce is, that Joyce is actually a loving mother based upon like what she says 
um, later on when the cookies and everything has worn off. Um, I think it's also a lot harder for us to forgive Joyce or maybe not forgive Joyce. It's a lot harder for us to see that Joyce is the victim because of how she acts when she's drugged. And we don't realize she's drugged for most of the episode. Um, she's invaded Buffy's personal life and space several times throughout this episode. And then here she is asking Buffy for space. So I think it's harder for us to sympathize with Joyce and easier for us to sympathize with Buffy. Whereas Buffy's feeling guilty in the Giles and Buffy contrast, Buffy's feeling guilty because she just killed someone. Um, she doesn't know he's not human, but in her mind, she thinks she killed someone, but she did it because she lost control. And so I think that that is very similar to Giles. And I think that he is guilty and that's why he's going to Jenny and Buffy's guilty. And that's why she's going to Joyce. And we're going to see that comparison later on in the fight sequence. So I just thought that was like, it's really interesting. So Joyce goes down to the basement, and at the school lab, Willow discovers that the secret ingredient is not love. It's Demotorin, which is a tranquilizer. keeps you mellow. Xander, this is evidence. This is real evidence that Ted was some kind of crook. Buffy's cleared. Willow, you are the best human ever. I adore you. Willow just, like, basks in the compliment. And he's like, that's the cookies talking, but you rock. <laughs> I know. She gets so excited. And then Cordelia comes in with the results of Willow's search. They found personal records, marriage certificates, and an address. So they go to check it out. And then in the graveyard, Giles is out patrolling. I always forget about this. <laughs> and he hears something and Jenny pops up and he like puts the cross in her face. And she says, yeah, I get that reaction from men all the time. <laughs> well, it's also funny. how She's like, I understand you didn't mean to put me in like danger and you're feeling guilty. And he's like, imagine how I'm going to feel about this. Yeah, right. And the vampire shows up behind Jenny, Mac and Buffy's room. She's just sitting there and you could tell she's kind of like, okay, this is ridiculous. I need to go do something. So she tries to go patrolling and her mom nailed, well, she thinks it's her mom. Yeah, I was about to say, I was like, I think that Ted nailed down her window because we never see Joyce. Like, it really doesn't strike me that Joyce would be like, Hmm, I barely have enough motivation to look my daughter in the eye, but I do have enough motivation <laughs> to nail down her window. She's too depressed to do anything right now. I don't think she'd do that. I don't know why Joyce would do that anyway, because she has no idea that Buffy's even sneaking in. Like, she never caught her or anything. The most yeah. she knows is that, like, Buffy was still in her room. That's how Ted died. Like, you know? Um, yeah. So... This also cracks me up because she says, well, it's official. This day can't get any worse. And then Ted like appears. And I was like, she's been sitting in her room for how long? Has Ted just been like underneath the bed the entire time? Because he appears on the Ooh. side where the He's bed is. He's hiding in that same closet that uh, Angel Angel, yeah. It's on the right season. side though. <laughs> yeah, it's on the wrong side. So Ted's been like hiding behind the bed this entire time, which just cracks me up thinking about him sitting there like waiting to come up and be like, beg to differ, little lady. He also looks slightly more unhinged than before. Like the way that they have his hair brushed over his forehead, he just yeah, looks, looks like crazy. really creepy. Buffy, you died, Ted. That's right, little lady. You killed me. Do we have something to say about that? Are we sorry? Buffy, what are you? Ted, I'm a salesman. And then he throws Buffy across the room, which corresponds to the fight in the graveyard. Vampire lunges for Giles and Jenny. Jenny is just like, amazing, moves out of the way while Giles just freezes, is tackled by the vampire, and Jenny struggles with the bag to try and get the crossbow. And then back in Buffy's room. I hate it when there's like back and forth. I know. I'm like, I'm like writing like graveyard, Buffy's room, <laughs> graveyard, Buffy's room. Yeah. 
And then Buffy and Ted are fighting. Ted tells her he had to shut down to get her off his back and um, starts choking Buffy. And then, okay, this is also really interesting because he tells her that he scared the intern in the morgue. Like, and he alludes to the fact that he like really hurt the intern. But then when he talks to Joyce later on, he repeats his story, but he twists it and like basically says the same thing, but it's different in the context. And I think this is kind of interesting because like the entire episode, we've seen him talking to Buffy and then we'll hear from Joyce about his version of the story that he told her but we're actually seeing how he manipulates people on both sides it's just Mm. like it's really well done so then in the graveyard Giles and the vamp are wrestling and Jenny's trying to get a good shot she (laughs) accidentally shoots Giles okay but also like how BA of Giles who literally gets shot in the back rips it out first reaction is like Hmm, I'm going to rip this out of my back and stab the vampire. If that were me, I really would be like, okay, I'm injured. Your turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is your mess. You injured me. You clean it up. Well, yeah. I think it's hilarious because the vampire is like laughing, which I mean, I mm-hmm. would too. And But Giles just like rips it out. It looks like it was in his kidney, rips it out of his kidney, stabs him like, and we know it takes a good deal of strength to be mm-hmm. able to stab them. I mean, like, yeah, Ripper, Ripper Giles. Giles. Yeah, right. His Ripper Giles comes out a lot when he's around Jenny, which I feel like is kind of like, it's very on point because it's like, oh, like his passion and his like charisma comes out when he's around her. And Tabby's like, passion and charisma. I'm like, what what are good words that don't make me sound like I'm like crazy. No, I think, yeah, he just, he tends to be, I think, a little bit more um, volatile. Mm Mm-hmm. So then in Buffy's room, Buffy grabs her nail file off of the dresser and slices his arm open, which, again, this is her using what's around her um, in a really, you know, clever way. Exposes wires and lights underneath. Ted starts glitching. And it's really cool how he, like, is friendly one second and then reprimanding and controlling the next, showing his, like, dual-sided personality. The actor did a great job. That, like, that would be really hard to do. Yeah, John Ritter says he would get stopped in the streets and people be like, can you do the head thing? (laughs) (laughs) And Joyce comes up from the basement and Ted hears her and kicks Buffy, knocking her unconscious, which he's got to be extremely strong if he's able to knock Buffy out. Don't worry about me and your mother. We're going to be very happy. And then, okay, is this Ted's house? Ted's shop? Ted's bunker? I think it's apartment. Something. Um, Xander, Willow, and Cordelia are at the address, and it looks just like a shop that has, like, a storefront, and it's got a bunch of furniture. I think it's hilarious that Xander's all like, hey, check for cookies for evidence. (laughs) I know, after he knows they're drugged. Yeah, right, exactly. He still wants them. Willow's looking through the documents and then discovers that there are four marriage certificates, and the first one was from 1957. Then they start to put the pieces together. And I think, again, it's really interesting that Cordy points out that the rug doesn't fit the rest of the decor because, like, we've talked about how Cordelia is kind of who Buffy would be if she didn't have slaying powers and vice versa. And I think it's cool that Cordelia is using kind of the same skills that Buffy does with, like, looking at her surroundings and recognizing that something doesn't fit based upon, like, her love of, you know, decor and fashion. So they rip up the rug and find a trap door underneath. Joyce 
oh yeah, back at Buffy's house, Joyce hears what she thinks is Buffy and starts apologizing, saying she knows Buffy didn't mean to supposedly probably kill Ted. Um, which I was like, okay, too little, too late, woman. <laughs> at least she tried to, but I don't know. I'm just sad that Buffy didn't hear it, but hopefully we're assuming she did afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Ted comes in and then this is the part where he lies and says that, you know, the people thought or that everyone thinks that he's all right and he was unconscious for like only six minutes. So he didn't have any brain damage. Um, And then Joyce. Okay. So this is what I feel like Joyce is not drugged anymore. I feel like once she came up from the basement, it was like her brain was cleared and everything. Joyce immediately tries to reassure him that Buffy didn't mean to hurt him, which I was like, okay, mm. well, I'm glad that, like, you know this now, but does Buffy know this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ted, you don't have to worry about Buffy. You don't have to worry about anything. Daddy is here. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. John Ritter just does a way too good of a job. So then Willow, Cordelia, and Xander go down the stairs, and a record player starts playing in the style of the 50s. This music was written for the scene by the LA Post Music. It's a company that actually writes music for specific scenes and situations in television hmm. shows and stuff. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. Cordelia feels like home if it's the 50s and you're a psycho, which is <laughs> hilarious because has Cordelia met Ted? No. No. I think yeah. she's just assuming though. Yeah. Then we have what I think is probably one of the most terrifying moments of mm-hmm. the show. And mm-hmm. we don't even see what's in the closet. But I also, I really respected Xander in this moment. I was about to say, yeah. he opens the closet, sees something that could literally give him trauma for the rest of his yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. immediately shuts it and underreacts to yeah. not scare Willow and Cordelia mm-hmm. and goes, okay, we can go. And they're both like, why? And he's like, because I just found evidence. And he's like, oh, it's, it's, he very nonchalantly goes, oh, it's the other wives. And you can see he like quickly moves them up the stairs because he doesn't want them to see what he just saw. Like, honestly, mad props to him. Yeah, I put that down too. I was like, I would not react the same way that he did. He was very mature and very protective in this situation. And I give like, Mad props to him. Yeah, no, totally. Like the the serious look on his face, but he also recognized that he needed to get to Buffy's house ASAP. Yes. Because, I mean, they didn't know he was a robot at this point, but- um, He's a serial killer from what they know. Yeah, and so they're like, we got to get back to Buffy. We don't know what's going to happen, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think that he, and I, I'm assuming they went directly to the police is my guess. But, yeah, no, Xander Xander definitely, like, went above and beyond in this episode, or at least in this moment. Um, so then back at Buffy's house, Ted tells Joyce that she was the reason that he was brought back, says he had come back for her and is going to make her so happy. Joyce doesn't look quite as happy as before and seems like she wants to let him down gently. She tells him that she should talk to Buffy first before he sees her finally sticking up for Buffy. And again, I think this is the true Joyce. This is the Joyce that is not on cookies, that's not being drugged. This is someone who actually wants to stick up for her daughter and, and actually parent well. So like – um, Ted explodes. Do we have to worry about Buffy right now? How about Teddy? He's the one who died. <laughs> Ew. Joyce looks overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. Ted, don't I always tell you what to do? For the first time, she actually seems to realize like how misogynistic he sounds as he's glitching mm-hmm. out. You can see her kind of starting to snap mm-hmm. back into herself. Yeah. Yeah. 
Joyce asks him to rest again. Ted tells her he doesn't take order from women and that he's not wired that way. Which, yeah, subtext is rapidly becoming text. Yep, yep. <laughs> You're such a machine. Yeah, right. In the graveyard, Giles is on the floor in pain. Jenny's like apologizing. Giles, I think I'm all right. Jenny, no, you're just in shock. Okay, I swear this is a Monty Python reference. I will go to my grave for this. Because in a scene in Monty Python, someone shoots an arrow from like a random castle and it hits um, Sir Lancelot's like uh, helper, servant or whatever, right in the chest. And he's like, oh, like, dear soldier, you had not have been... Um, uh, mortally wound in vain and he's like no nah, I feel okay I could pull through um, and, and they're both arrows and he says like something very similar and then Jenny's being the whole like Sir Lancelot where she's like no 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 it's okay you're in shock you can stay and then Giles is like no 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 I'm good yeah well the whole advantages of layers of tweed it's better than Kevlar <laughs> which I kind of wanted to give him a standing ovation in this moment because everyone keeps making fun of his tweed and I feel like in that moment he was like haha I am vindicated <laughs> well tweed is very thick so it makes sense and he had layers of it on yeah so maybe it did help yeah exactly um and then I just love how they start laughing at the humor of the whole situation. Mm -hmm. And it just – it feels very realistic because, like, obviously Giles is not, like, in a life-threatening situation. So they can kind of just chuckle about it and stuff. But Jenny, ha, you really know how to woo a girl back, don't you, Giles? Ha, ha, ow, ow. <laughs> so then in Buffy's room. Okay. I just – I think this is – I love this moment. So Buffy comes to – Joyce is nervous and tries to distract Ted by offering him a drink, which – I think Joyce was really – she thinks very quickly on her feet. Mm. She tries to offer him a drink. He wants to leave. So she's like, oh, I need to go pack. And he's like, oh, I already have clothes. They're your size. Like she keeps trying to make up excuses well, to and then go he, all, he goes, they're always your size, Ooh. which implies that he has like a type that he goes yep. for. Yeah. Yeah. Husband and wife is forever. Forever. And then we have this cool scene. Okay, so the way that this is shot, Buffy is kind of like the monster that's in the house that's stalking Ted. Because we don't see it from mm -hmm. Buffy's point of view. We see it from Ted's. Because all so of a sudden, good. we see the doorknob like completely rip off. And it's like, oh, yeah, here it comes. Well, because I think they're supposed to show how like angry and like like powerful Buffy is in this moment. So they switched the narrative. They had Ted be the quote unquote victim because he's got to be killed in this moment. So he's walking down the halls. He's like scared, trying to listen for Buffy. And it's just like, oh, I love that they did that because you're just like waiting for her to pop out. You're just like, kill him, kill him, kill him. It's yeah. Just, I love that. Yeah. No, it's great. Then Ted pushes Joyce, who tries to fight back and knocks her out cold and then we hear like the creaking and he's being stalked by Buffy. Buffy, mm -hmm. come out. I don't stand for this kind of malarkey in my house. Uncle Teddy, there's the cast iron skillet, the no room for compromising skillet. <laughs> Gets smashed in his face. This amazing slow motion shot. She said, this house is mine. Yeah. Oh, so good. Snaps oh. for Buffy. Seriously, I read a review where someone was like, the ending was so anticlimactic. I was like, what are you talking about? I think it's more so like the him, her beating him up at the end was really quick, but the buildup was phenomenal. But I think that what was so good about the ending of her beating him up is that Joyce was finally starting to see who he really was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And that was needed. We needed to have that between Ted and Joyce because that was the closure for Buffy and Joyce to start to heal and like move forward in their relationship as well. Then Ted gets up and half his face is split to reveal wires and a metal skeleton underneath, which the makeup and the prosthetics. Phenomenal. I keep looking at it. I'm like trying to figure out where like they placed it on his face. They just, it's Mm -hmm. so good. Buffy smashes him in the head again and he goes down for the last time. Okay, so fun fact, Sarah Michelle Gellar and John Ritter were not feeling well during this scene. She had the flu and he had food poisoning. John Ritter says, it turns out that Sarah and I both got the stomach flu on the last day. We were both saying, excuse me, and visiting our respective toilets in our trailers in between takes. I was in really bad shape. Then we had to do the fight scene. The most convincing thing I did that day was to be dead because that's how I felt. (laughs) But the thing is, I've been around and I know there are some days you feel good and some days you feel bad. If you're freezing cold, you can't show the audience. I have a way of shutting down, which I was like, that sounds very much like Ted. (laughs) But yeah, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. I wonder if that like last sequence was supposed to be longer and I wonder if they cut it down simply just with how bad they were feeling. Um, So then we have the scene in the summer's porch. Joyce, do you want to rent a movie tonight? Just nothing with horror or romance. Or boys. <laughs> yeah. Bubby, I guess we're Thelma and Louising it again. Joyce is nervous that Ted will come back, especially now that they found his wives in his home. Buffy, trust me, he's in the scrap heap of life. <laughs> this scene makes me really think of uh, Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Like, sitting mm-hmm. on the porch, talking about what they're going to watch. Like, very sweet. And it's much needed. We needed this scene at the very end to show how much they care for each other and also to show that they're okay, you know? So back at school, we find out that the real Ted was dying and his wife dumped him. So he built a robot Ted who kept bringing the wife back or would bring the wife back and hold her hostage. And then when she died, he'd go find a new wife. Lovely. Willow admires the real Ted and reveals that she kept little parts of him. Buffy, oh, Will, you're supposed to use your powers for good. Willow, but I just want to learn stuff. Cordelia, like how to build your own serial killer. <laughs> True. I noted that this is like one of the first times we've ever seen Cordelia like in with the gang, sitting like walking with them, talking with them. Like it feels very natural. At school? Yeah. 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 Like at the end of the episode, like normally it's just Buffy, Xander, and Willow at the end, but Cordelia's there with them. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the library and Buffy's like, ah. Do I have to like sound a horn wherever I go? What is it with grownups these days? And I love that we began with grownups kissing and we end with Jenny and Giles in the library making so up. Cute. The better couple. Oh, sweet. The far superior couple yes. by far. So that was Ted. That was actually far more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be. Are you guys going to go watch it again or on your next rewatch or are you going to skip it? I'll probably um, watch it. I think it'll depend on my mood, honestly. It's a good episode, but it's definitely one that I have to be in the right headspace for. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, all right. Well, that is Ted, you guys. Thanks for bearing with us. I know that Ted is deemed one of the more unpopular episodes for most people in the fandom, but we're curious. Do you guys love it? Do you guys hate it? Do you skip it? Let us know. And just as a reminder, we have Scooby's secret section right after this. If you guys want to know all the spoilers, then you can go ahead and just click on over there. If not, then we will see you guys next week. 
Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are on Scooby Secrets, the spoiler section for Ted. Um, just a warning, as always, this is spoilers for the entirety of Buffy, not just for the episodes that we've already covered, um, and also spoilers for the show Angel. So if you do not want to know anything or you haven't watched the shows, then feel free to click off and we will not be offended. We will see you next week. But if you want to know spoilers, then get ready because we have a lot. I also just want to say that I am very thankful to be done with What's My Line it was fun, but like because we're doing every other week now, I was like, good Lord, it feels like we've been doing What's My Line for forever. I'm so glad to be on TED. <laughs> well, it was a whole month of What's My Line. Seriously. I was like, oh my word, can we move yeah. on? Yeah, I was running out of post ideas. Well, and like What's My Line is like only like a little crumb of what we get to experience when it comes to like Kendra and like everything in that situation. And so – I always like think about what's my line. I'm like, oh, it's so exciting. It's introducing everything. Then I'm like, oh, shoot. It's just introducing it. Like we don't actually get to like dive into everything yet. So like as exciting as it is, it's only like a fraction of the excitement that that storyline produces. I always think it's later on this season too because I get really hyped for becoming part one and part two. But then I look at like where it is in the season. I'm like, we have more than half of the season left to go. And this kind of like gives you a little hint towards it and makes you excited. And then they're going to give you like bad eggs in the next episode. And you're like, thank you for that. <laughs> Which reminder, guys, next week with bad eggs, we will be having Bex, Bangel.insurgent with us. And let me just tell you, I have not laughed so hard in such a long time. Like I literally like my stomach hurt. It's hilarious. Bad eggs is not a good episode. Let's just say that. <laughs> Let's just get out of the way. Um, but Bex, you made it much more enjoyable and bearable. And we actually, I think, learned some good things. So look forward to that next week. All the crappy episodes are really fun to do just because we rip on it the entire time. So if you want to like listen in for some really funny banter back and forth and some cute banjo moments, I always forget her in the episode. It's a really fun one to listen to. I actually think the two like cowboy vampires are hilarious too. So... Mm. True. I think they should have been the big bad of the episode instead of the freaky egg monsters. But anyway, that's for next week. Let's talk about Ted. <laughs> so this episode actually foreshadows and also references so many episodes or it's referenced back from so many episodes. Um, Lover's Walk, Becoming Part 2, Bad Girls, Consequences, I Was Made to Love You, Normal Again, pretty much every instance that has the Buffy bot, like – all of these like take a little bit from this episode, which is just really surprising. Um, so we're going to kind of talk a little bit about some of those things. I wanted to first talk about Joyce's dress. So I think I told you guys this before, but Joyce's dress, when she's coming back from her date with Ted, it's a halter and it's not a halter top. It's sleeveless and it's black and it's got like floral pattern right around at her waist. It looks really, really similar to the dress that she wears in I Was Made to Love You when she goes on that date with Brian right before Buffy finds her on the couch. Sorry for the PTSD, everyone. <laughs> the only two episodes that she goes on a date in the entire series involve a robot somewhere in the episode. Yeah, isn't that weird? Well, and like, it's so sad because like, she is dating someone in this episode and he's like a trash dude. And then she's finally like dating someone good and she dies. It's like, can't she just be happy? Yeah. Please? Well, I mean, Buffy can't be happy. Joyce can't be happy. I mean. Runs in the Summers family too. And then Dawn was traumatized her entire existence on the show. I know, right? So sad. 
Um, but I thought that was really interesting. Like if you ever get the chance to Google the two pictures, the dresses look really similar. And then I was also thinking about the part where uh, Willow and Xander are inside the lab and they're testing the cookies to see what's inside of them. It really reminded me of Lover's mm-hmm. Walk in season three when they're trying to make that love yep. or the de-loving potion. And funnily enough, it also is the episode that prominently features the magic shop. And this episode is the first time we see the set for the magic shop, but it's Ted's house. Isn't that weird? Um, and then obviously in Becoming Part 2, when Buffy is thought to have killed Kendra and is on the run, the same detective shows up in that episode. I think his name is Detective Stein um, that was in this episode. And the same guy also pops up in Consequences in Season 3 when Faith murders Deputy Mayor Finch, which I think is a really cool – like, what in the world? They're like, hey, dude, we need you for like one scene. And they – find this guy and they bring him back for three episodes, but it creates like this ominous sense of continuity where you legitimately think that Buffy might go to jail because this detective has it out for her, you know? I wonder if like the police know of the Slayer, like, cause I feel like if there's a lot of red flags that came around Buffy's name. So I feel like they didn't, it's kind of weird that they didn't question her more unless they knew that she was the Slayer. See, I feel like the opposite. I feel like if they knew she was the Slayer, they wouldn't bother her. I don't know. Because we know the mayor knows. Like, we're heading into that. We know that Principal Snyder is obviously aware of things a little bit more as well. But I think that we'd have to assume that then all the cops and everybody inside of Sunnydale were dirty as well. And I, we never really get any sort of hint of that from season three. So I'm not sure. I kind of think it's almost scarier that they don't know that she's a slayer because then they're just going to try her like a normal human being, you know? Mm. And then obviously we have the big one from normal again. He brings up, he's like, oh, I'm going to put you in an insane asylum. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Super jarring. So Ted says, beg to differ, little lady. Everything you do is nothing but my business from now on. Buffy tells him to leave and he says, or what? You'll slay me. I'm real. I'm not some goblin you made up in your little diary. Psychiatrists have a word for something like this. Delusional. Which a lot of people don't like normal again. And I've heard it said that normal again is not really canonically, like it doesn't work canonically, but I actually like, <laughs> I beg to differ. <laughs> oh, no. I know, right? Um, I actually think normal again is a really brilliant episode. It's very Doctor Who-like. I really enjoy it. Maybe it's the fact that I grew up watching Doctor or whatever, but I really, really like the storylines that are a little dark and twisted that you kind of like hope aren't true but like a part of you is kind of like oh but that's so brilliant like and i really just think that that whole storyline in buffy is just such an interesting concept well and doctor who they have a few episodes where the companions have to choose between two different worlds and they have to pick the correct one same thing with buffy and normal again which i find such interesting episodes because they create out of their subconscious either stuff that they're terrified of happening and they don't want it to be true, which could mean it could be true, like a normal again, or ones that they want to be true and so they want to choose the false world. So I just find it really interesting because it could show the inner drive of different characters. It could also create really great filler episodes. 
And so I think that normal again is genius. Normal again is just very powerful because at this point in the season, Buffy has rejected Spike is no longer sleeping with him, but she's still suffering from depression. And it's gotten so oppressive to where she's like, it would be easier to just go into this other world where my mom and dad are together and they want me and I could be human. And it's it's essentially tempting because it's giving her every single thing she's ever wanted in in one moment. Um, and she does the brave thing. She continues to fight. She chooses the hard path. She chooses the path that requires more sacrifice. And it's just another step in her healing. It's just incredibly powerful. Um, and also very eerie too. But I think it's interesting because if you're looking at the context of this, this moment, so Buffy has already been inside a psych ward. Like her parents have already put her in there, or at least her mom has chances are she's probably written about it in her diary. And we already know she wrote about Angel in her diary. So like, we're assuming Ted knows about Angel. He knows Angel's a vampire. He knows that she's been in the psych ward. It would be a really interesting concept if Ted was like her doctor or whatever in the psych ward. Mm -hmm. And she imagined him being the villain of her story as this lifeless robot because that's how she views him as a doctor. Could you imagine they brought back the uh actor who played ted to be the nurse or that the would have been so trippy again. that would be genius um one of my favorite things that buffy does and what i think that they do incredibly well is they set up a lot of motivations and stuff building up to darker episodes and make it way more jarring when you actually watch the episode because i think of the episode right before the gift where buffy goes comatose yeah. when Dawn gets taken. And what does she imagine? She imagines a world where her parents are still together when she's younger and innocent and she doesn't have, oh, it's called the weight of the world. Because I was literally about to say it. She doesn't have the weight <laughs> of the world on her shoulders. And she just keeps ima- imagining like protecting Dawn as a baby and holding her for the first time and being like in the shelter of her parents' home when they're together. And like she physically can't face what she's going through. And then in normal again, she's like dependent on people but she also doesn't want to face the reality of her actual life at the moment. They're very different takes, but they're very consistent to Buffy's character. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think it's also incredibly interesting to think about Angel season five with the episode with the crazy Slayer. And she's in a psych ward Mm. too, you know? Mm. Um, And obviously she is clearly very crazy, but we see that she also has access to all the Slayer memories and stuff. And so I wonder how much of that was also kind of impacting Buffy in this moment too, you know? It's really kind of creepy. Um I also wanted to say like kind of going back to the mayor for a second, how much Ted reminds me of the mayor? Yeah, yes. he does a ton. He's just kind of like the traditional family man type of guy that they twist and make him evil, but he's kind of like misogynist. Yeah, but he's well, and I don't know if the mayor is ne- necessarily I guess he's kind of misogynistic. He is. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. He's sexist. He makes comments about it. That is. To Faith and to Buffy. Yeah, that's true. I was mostly just thinking, like, I think he really did care about Faith, but you can still be misogynistic and care about women. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting because they're kind of a terrifying and different sort of evil because they appear really nice. And to everyone else, they appear Mm -hmm. really nice, but then they're manipulating and gaslighting you in the background. Um, And so I wonder if they got the idea of the mayor from seeing John Ritter play Ted. Ooh, maybe. Or maybe they took like 
the I like the core of who Ted is and kind of turned it into another villain. Yeah, yeah, because I think the mayor mm. is a really interesting villain for season three. I really like him as a villain. Like I hate him, but I really like him as a villain. Yeah, he's very effective. Speaking of season three and how I talked about earlier about how Buffy kind of plants stuff before leading to like a major plot line, I think it's really genius that they talked about and dabbled with the idea of a slayer and the moral compass of like being a killer mm-hmm. versus just being like the law of like the underworld or whatever you would call it. But I, I caught like major faith vibes and faith, hope and trick when she first comes in where like Buffy's going through a lot emotionally and she's kind of taking it out on the vamps and is like kind of beating to a bloody pulp as Giles would say. Just how she did in Faith, Hope, and Trick. Remember when she was like beating up the vamp and Buffy mm-hmm. was like, you're supposed to take them, not sit there and like beat them to death. But I think it's interesting that they brought up that topic when we saw Buffy struggle with that in this mm-hmm. episode, having her emotions separated from her job. And I think that, I think it's interesting that they placed a character like Ted who's supposed to kind of look like the mayor to be kind of the precipice of her acting that way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this episode is so pivotal to season three because, you know, you have Faith blaming the mayor's assistant's death on Buffy. And then, you know, Buffy saying, no, like you are responsible and like wanting to help Faith and Faith rejecting that. And then Faith kind of like for a couple seasons rejecting the consequences of what she did and kind of even rejecting the feelings that she feels for actually having murdered someone. Um, And then, you know, this is a catalyst to Angel season one, where Faith finally decides to put herself into prison for killing someone, recognizing that she is accountable to the human law, that she's not above the law. Um, And then, I mean, this also goes to season six when Buffy thinks that she kills Katrina when the trio sets her up. And I think that Again, admirable. Season six is when Buffy's at her lowest, and yet she still sticks to her moral compass and her moral code and goes, no, if I Mm. killed someone, I still need to turn myself in. And I think that it's they do this purposefully to show that in the future, because I I don't think they had plans for Faith just yet, but I think that they, when they were making the whole plotline of Faith, they wanted to show that there was a clear difference between Buffy and Faith and that they could point back to Ted and show that there was a point where Buffy was in the same position as Faith was and Buffy did the right thing and Faith didn't. Or this is what happens. Or this is, yeah, this is what causes Slayers to get to this point. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we see Faith act that way, it kind of is jarring because we're like, oh shoot, we've seen Buffy react that way. And so what's causing Faith to have this response? Yeah, and I think there's a sense of like, we kind of almost want to excuse Buffy. We're like, it was an accident. Like, she didn't mean to kill this guy. Mm-hmm. This guy was asking for it. And so I think by having to be firm and consistent, I mean, the episode gives us an out by the fact that he's, you know, a, a murdering robot. Um, but if he wasn't, like, where would that have gone? Was Is Buffy accountable to that? Should Buffy have gotten a pass? And if she had, like, what does that mean for Faith? You know? So, like, I think it would have been an interesting question to have to kind of um, discuss if – Buffy had actually killed a human, but thankfully we didn't have to. Well, I was going to ask, like, if Kendra hadn't died, do you guys think that they would have gone that route with Buffy, having Buffy accidentally kill a human? I don't think so, because they kind of already explored that in this episode, but I do think they would have maybe taken Buffy to some darker routes. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I don't know. Yeah, because they very, I mean, we talked about it before. They very clearly established Kendra as like the straight-laced slayer. And so I don't think, I think it would have been too much of a whiplash to have her suddenly become like a dark slayer. So they definitely needed to have faith to kind of explore the other side. Um, I don't know. It would have been interesting. It's just so crazy because even though Faith isn't on a ton of episodes on Buffy, she just makes such a lasting impact that like I honestly cannot picture the show without Faith. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. She she has a great arc. I also wanted to give a shout out to whoever is like the set decorator because placing that calendar behind Buffy's shoulder showing that it is in November, I think I said it was in November, um, is just so clever because I know that's also like when the episode was supposed to air, like it aired in November or December. It's just clever because, oh, it aired in December. Uh, where the next episode is Bad Eggs and then right after Bad Eggs is Surprise, which is Buffy's birthday. So I love that like we're seeing it edging closer and closer to January. And I feel like this is a tiny little bit of foreshadowing of, hey, Buffy's birthday is right around the corner. We know what happens there, you know? Did you guys catch that really like clever foreshadowing at the very end when we find out that Willow has kept a part of Ted? And she says that she admires the real Ted. And then she's like, yeah, I kept a little part of him. And Buffy says, oh, Will, you're supposed to use your powers for good. And Willow says, but I just want to learn stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I didn't. That's really interesting. But they brushed off as innocent. And I think that's what feeds Willow for seasons is because people view her really innocently. Um, That's so weird to me. Like if I was friends with Willow, I'd be like, why would you want to keep a part of like a psychotic robot. I mean, at the beginning of the episode, she was like super excited about like his hard drive and stuff. Like you could tell that like Willow really likes technology. And I think they're kind of using technology as a metaphor Mm -hmm. for Willow's curiosity for magic later on too. Um, You know, use your powers for good. Willow goes Mm -hmm. evil, but I just want to learn stuff. Ultimately, her just wanting to learn stuff is what got her into magic in the first place. So I think it's just like another little nugget of, consistency within willow's character development and i i'm here for all these like little things like seemingly throwaway lines that make so much sense later on down the line uh it's so interesting to me that they continue the idea that like buffy needs to trust her gut Mm -hmm. and i hate that it takes people the whole freaking show Mm -hmm. to finally listen to buffy's gut like and even then like we reach the ending of the show and people still don't like Whenever she's like, guys, like, I just need you to, like, trust me or whatever. And everyone's like, no, Buffy. And then <laughs> Empty it ends places. up always being right. Yeah. Uh, what are you referring to in this episode? Like, where where don't people trust her gut? Well, she was all saying, like, she was like, I don't trust Ted. Oh, I don't trust Ted. Yes. And then, and then like, Xander was like, it's just because you're emotionally invested. And they were all saying, like, no, you need to give him a chance. And she was like, no, like, there's, like, there's something about him. And no one was believing her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I'm, And I think, like. I think it's also because they are drugged too. Like this is a hard episode. And I know we talked about it a little bit in like the spoiler-free section, like especially when it comes to Joyce. Like I was on another Buffy Mm -hmm. group today where they were talking about how much they hated Joyce and Xander and they're like think season three. And it's it's hard because so much of season two and three is Joyce either has to be the person that kind of like stops Buffy from slaying. Like she has to say, no, you're grounded or no, you're this in order to create tension in the episode. And then there's also, she's drugged a lot or she's under an enchantment spell Mm -hmm. or something. And so it's really hard to 
fully grasp but Buffy's relationship with Joyce. And so I'm really excited for like, we have a surprise coming up and innocence, like that beautiful moment at the end of innocence. She's a good mom. Yes. And I truly think Joyce is just a great mom, but I think she's, you know, a single mom who's trying to figure out her way, who has a daughter. With a slayer. Yeah, who has a daughter who's a slayer, who's like burned down a gym, supposedly killed a guy. Like I think Joyce handles everything admirably, honestly. But I also can see how people could get that but then I like, there's also a part of me that's kind of like, um, I think you're just not watching the show hard enough. <laughs> I have mm. to separate some of the episodes that she really frustrates me because I'm like, okay, I have to understand that if I didn't know my child was a slayer and had to clean blood out of their clothes all the time, I'd be a little worried. Or hearing like reports of her being aggressive at school, but then seeing like the real Buffy at home, I would be very confused. But then also having to remember that she is literally drugged in so many episodes <laughs> And like, I hate her in those episodes, but that's also not Joyce. It's just hard to see her all the time like that. It's like three or four episodes. And that's a lot of episodes where she's not normal Joyce. I also wanted to clock our overalls of pain. This is the third time we've seen them. We saw them in School Hard and Inca Mummy Girl. We'll see them in this episode, Becoming Part 2. And I think there's one more that I'm missing. Yeah. No, they're definitely like the overalls of sadness, the overalls of pain. It's really funny how they just were like, oh, Buffy's sad. We're going to put her in overalls. <laughs> Throw the overalls in there. Yeah. Oh, and Helpless. That's what it was. She yeah. wears them in Helpless. I feel like this episode and Helpless are the most correlated. And I feel like the other ones are correlated. But this one and Helpless are like her having to like fight something when she feels either emotionally or physically weak. Like when she walks into the school and she's wearing the overalls, she looks so the defeated. The music is the beautiful there too. Mm-hmm. And I just like had flashbacks to like Helpless where she's just like walking around all like physically weak. The poor girl. I wanted to read an excerpt from Bite Me by Nikki Stafford because of course. Um, but she brought up a really interesting point that I honestly had never thought about. And you kind of reminded me of Tabby when you were mentioning helpless, but this kind of correlates because Ted is kind of a father figure. It's, oh father, where art thou? And it says, Buffy's father divorced her mother before they moved to Sunnydale. And while he remained a small part of her life for the first couple of years, he eventually took off with his secretary, leaving or having nothing more to do with the family. Angel's father thought Angel, then called Liam, was a layabout and often derided him in front of others. Angel eventually kills him and the rest of his family. Willow's father appears to be non-existent. She mentions him a couple of occasions, but we never see him. Xander's father is a cruel alcoholic who seems bent on humiliating the family and beating down Xander's self-esteem. Cordelia's father was caught for tax evasion in 1999, and the family lost all its money. She moves to LA to escape the embarrassment. Wesley's father lost locks him in a closet under the stairs and apparently beat Mm -hmm. him. While Wesley still has contact with him over the phone, his father still makes him feel worthless. Tara's father made her believe she was a demon so he could keep her hidden in the house, waiting on the men in the family as he'd done with her mother. Giles's father, who was also a watcher, ignored Giles' plans as a child to become someone other than a watcher, giving him a speech about duty and sacrifice and having to follow in his footsteps. Spike momentarily believes Giles is his father in tabula rasa and immediately assumes he 
must have hated him. When we see a flashback of his life in Lies My Parents Told Me, Spike lives with his mother and there's no mention of a father. In season seven, Robin appears to have grown up without a father. His mother's watcher, however, became an adopted father to him. Faith's father appears to have left the family and her substitute father, the mayor, provides her with a lot of love despite the fact that he's an evil demon intent on taking over the world. Giles becomes the father figure for everyone in the gang, most of all Buffy, and he single-handedly redeems the concept of fatherhood in the Buffyverse. Isn't that crazy? Oh, that's so sweet. That's true. I never even noticed how many, like, characters have daddy issues. But it's just because, like, Giles just genuinely takes it home. Yeah. And then they screw it up in season seven. No, we aren't going to talk about that right now. We just read a really (laughs) beautiful passage. No, and I still... No, it ends fine. I like to say that, but it's fine. So it's just really Mm -hmm. interesting that there's like really not many fathers in the Buffyverse and Mm -hmm. they all seem to be kind of crappy, but we have Giles, so it's okay. So cute. I know. It's adorable. So the last thing that I wanted to mention is we haven't done What Would Dawn Do in a While? And we kind of like had been talking about it um, through the past couple of episodes and Basically, the conclusion that Tabby and Leo were coming to was that they didn't think Dawn was really going to be in much of the episodes unless um, Joyce was in there. Yeah, simply because, I mean, she is like a minor. And so it's like she's not really going to go anywhere unless her guardian is there or like parent. Especially on campus at school, if that's like the majority of the episode. True. But in this one, I think that she would absolutely hate Ted as well because yeah. we all know that Don hates being controlled or feeling like she's really young and worthless and I feel like Ted would 1000% do that or he might baby her and make Buffy feel crazy there could mm. be two different outcomes for that see, one see I think that I, I agree with Tabs but I think that if Don and Ted did butt heads I think we would get some really good moments of both Buffy mm-hmm. and Don like bonding and then Buffy Aww. just kind of being like Oh, no, I'm siding with Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> so I I wanted to read what someone messaged us a couple weeks ago about – her name is Abby. And she said, hey, guys, I've been thinking about this for a while now that you guys are in season two and you've been asking what do we think Dawn would be doing. Well, I've been wondering since we all know that Joyce is going to be finding out what and who Buffy is at the end of the season, when do you think Dawn would have found out if she was there? Because from Whoa. the first couple of episodes when Dawn first appears, she seems to be a snoop. She so can't see her not finding out before Joyce, but then do you think she would have told their mother? That would change the whole season to reveal. I don't know. Just wanted to see what you guys think. I know there's a lot to talk about with Becoming Part 2, but I'm curious how you think Joyce would have found out if Dawn was in the picture. Mm -hmm. And if Dawn found out before Joyce, how do you think she would have found out? Do you think Dawn would have told Joyce? So I'll tell you guys what I think, and then you can tell me what you think. I said... I personally believe Dawn would have definitely found out before Joyce. I think Dawn probably would have been trick-or-treating in Xander, Willow, and Buffy's group in Halloween. Um, Mm. I think that she would have learned a lot that way. I think she would have been listening in on Buffy's conversation with Angel in the kitchen and lie to me. I think that she would have started becoming suspicious about vampires at that point. And I think that she probably would have confronted Buffy about knowing she was the Slayer in this episode in Ted. I don't think Dawn would have liked Ted, and I don't think she would have eaten his cookies, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I also don't think that Dawn would have told Joyce. I think Buffy would have known that Dawn was a klepto, and I think they would have been holding it over each other's head. We're like, hey, I won't tell mom you're the slayer if you don't tell mom that I'm stealing or something like that. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think that 
I don't I don't know necessarily when Dawn would have found out. I know she would have found out before Joyce. I personally think she would have found out because of Angel, mm. whether she overheard or saw something or whatever, just because she's Snoopy and Angel always sneaks into the house. Um, but I, I, do, I also think that Dawn wouldn't have told Joyce. I think that she would have like made an agreement with Buffy um, and just been like, oh, you owe me one. But I think mainly Dawn would have not wanted to tell anyone simply because she would like having a secret. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My theory is um, very well-formed okay, and um, very canonical. So I kind of view it as like an H2O. You know how Kaleo's sister finds out she's like a mermaid? And so she like like kind of tells her to like do her dishes and she pays her. That's kind of <laughs> oh, how I view yeah, it with true. like Buffy and Don. She somehow finds out and she's like, okay, I'll do all your dishes or I'll clean your room or whatever. And I can feel like Don would like feel so powerful because she has like something over Buffy. For sure. But yes. she definitely would find out either from Halloween or from like snooping in on like Angel and Buffy's like passionate speeches to each other. Yeah. And I mean, for Pete's sake, like you had those, the Order of Taraka that was after Buffy the last two episodes. I mean, Dawn, if she didn't go to LA with Joyce, would have been at a friend's house or would have been staying with Buffy. I mean, there's just no way that Dawn wouldn't have seen that there was stuff going yeah. on, you know? But then Abby, the listener, also asked, do you guys think that Joyce even would have dated Ted if she had Dawn with her? And I was like, ooh, that's a really good question because it could have been that Joyce was so busy she wouldn't have had time to date anyone anyway. I still – I kind of am under the impression that Joyce started being drugged early on in their mm. relationship. So I think that honestly, I think Joyce wouldn't have dated him unless she was drugged prior. Mm. Really, I think that she would have dated him either way, especially if she had a younger daughter like Dawn, because she'd want so badly to have a father figure for Dawn. Yeah. I feel like when it comes to Buffy being high school, she wanted to have a love connection and not to be lonely. But I think if Dawn was younger, she'd feel like she needed to because Dawn was so little. Yeah. It's kind of hard to tell because at the very end of the episode, once you can tell that Joyce is no longer under the influence of the cookies and the food and stuff, she's kind of like not really as into Ted as she seemed to be in the beginning. I mean, granted, mm -hmm. he was also mm -hmm. acting super weird. But, I mean, she's like, okay. He's like waking out. <laughs> yeah, she's like, maybe you should sit down. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just a really – it's an interesting thought. And, like, it's just kind of crazy to me that they never did an episode. And I know we've talked about this before. But it's crazy to me that they never did an episode where they're like – showing what it was like when Dawn was there the entire time. And you as a viewer are thinking you're crazy because where did this little girl come from? And like, we're seeing like all these things happen from seasons one, two, three, and four. And Dawn's there. And we're like, I do not remember this little girl at all. So I don't know. I thought that was really interesting. And I'm curious what you listeners think. What would Dawn be doing in this episode? When do you guys think Dawn would have found out if she would have found out that Buffy was the Slayer? Um, do you think she would have told Joyce? Definitely let us know because I think that that changes a lot of the show if Dawn had found mm -hmm. out. Um, so, yeah. Well, I think that's everything. That is the end of Ted. And next week is Bad Eggs, which just as a whoop reminder, whoop. I know, so excited. Bex will be here. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be so fun. Um, you guys can find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Definitely let us know what you think Don would be doing. Let us know what you think about this episode and how it like correlates and relates to all the other episodes that we mentioned above. 
And as always, guys, we will talk to you next week.